Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, we've we've got some stuff to dis- to discuss today. I, I think that's fair yeah, to say. There's a lot going on. There is there is I'm so planning much a wedding. Do. Yes, yes. You are. We're, we're going to talk about wedding stuff. We're going to talk about how our New Year's Day. What? No, the we're not. Bachelor talk about starts stuff. today. The Bachelor starts. What a what a big day it is. Three hours. Yeah, they kind of do that with the first episode. That's just that's that's pretty standard these days because they got to meet all the women and that's just the way it works. Yeah. A couple of things happened in the SEC that uh, hit a little <laughs> close to home for us. I think we can yeah. say that. The we are recording this at 1:45 on Monday afternoon, freshly removed from the Tua announcement that he is going to the NFL. We have so much that we're going to hit on with that, talking about the decision, talking about what it means for Alabama, what it means for the SEC, college football as a whole, all those different things. My guy, Joe Moorhead, was fired in Mississippi State on Friday. I have a lot of thoughts on that. A lot of thoughts on we're that. We're going to not agree on a lot of those. We're going to not agree on some. We're going to agree on on some others. I, I okay. promise you that. And I promise I will try and look at this in the most logical way possible, and I Done the best I can to listen Dude, to Mississippi State fans. I really you, have. You get you get such a golden parachute of forgiveness from all of our audience, though, because the giant shield of protection that is Tua also going pro, and then no matter what I say, it being like, well, it, well, you're fine. You're fine. No one's even gonna notice, Connor. <laughs> Bury the lead. Um, and then we're going to talk some all-decade stuff because I know this came out a few weeks ago on SDS. We've had just so much all-decade content um, to yeah. end the year, and it's been great. And our, our team has really, really gone to work to be able to put this stuff together. And I thought it wouldn't be right of us if we didn't kind of go through some of this all-decade team. I, I came up with the all-decade offense and the all-decade defense to just kind of go through, break down some of the cases, have a little bit of fun. We're interested to get your feedback on this. I know we have we have posted the all-decade teams to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, but yeah. it's a little bit different and kind of talk about some of these cases and stuff when you can provide a little bit more of an argument and you know it's, we can yeah, really and flesh and this out. I'll just say right off the bat, like I, I immediately was like frustrated with some of the stuff that I saw on the site. And then like I will say though, and I still disagree with some of the stuff that, that some of our writers wrote. It'd be weird if you didn't, yeah. So somebody wrote Traded Priest as a backup linebacker at Bama, and he was it literally like Queso is a better linebacker than Traded Priest. Um, that's a stretch, pretty, but Queso's thick. Queso's got the wide God, shoulders. They're built tackle. the same. I, um, you know what? I saw Queso on that play date, and Queso was putting up some good tackles there. So Queso is as soon as as soon as they those they showed up, they're like, God, Queso got thick with two C's. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. Um, no, but anyway, so, but I, but like I, what I will say also is, just this that was not an easy undertaking. That's such a no, difficult. It's not. Just no, the it's Google not. search alone and trying to find these people was Ugh. it's it's it was tougher than I thought it was going to be. So hopefully, yeah, uh, you some guys of these have some good insight too, and you guys probably do have some good insight because I'm sure there's people we overlooked. Yeah, exactly. And I tried to hit on as many as possible with the honorable mention section. And that, even that, I mean, I definitely forgot people. Like, I, I can flat out admit, there are, there are guys that I just did not get to. And I did the best I could. I mean, I spent all day putting these together, you know, back when we did this a few weeks ago. And it's just not easy. And some of the times you're, you find yourself going with one thing over the other, one year of dominance as opposed to an entire year, uh, entire career of success. And it's it's tough to kind of balance all those things. But we'll, we'll explain some of, the, some of the, the guys who made it, maybe even some of the guys who didn't as well. So... That is what we're going to hit on today. Let's start, though, with the thing that is very, very 
very raw. I don't want to say raw. That's not the right word. That's not the right word. It is very new. And that is Tua Tungvaluwa's announcement that he is declaring for the NFL draft. He is leaving Alabama a year early, and he is going to take his talents to the next level. The crazy thing about this announcement, which just happened on SEC Network, is that, I mean, literally up until the announcement, I really wasn't 100% sure either way. And he could come out and kind of say anything, and it really wouldn't have surprised me that much. It, it had suspense, and I credit Tua for that. I, usually this stuff gets leaked much, much earlier. Tua is a different person, man. He's a different breed. He's different. Yep. Uh, this this whole thing, like I, I've said this before, and this is not like saying he's like a different animal to deal with in terms of his physical abilities or anything like that stuff. He's just not built the same way as we are, as most people are. Like he's he's just like he doesn't tick the same way we do. I I, I don't know how to explain it other than that. Like the fact that like you know the same motive things, this, all the the stuff that people have thrown out there for their opinions or reasons of why they think he'll go or stay or any of that. I don't know how much of those reasons ever entered his mind. Like, I and mean, he's just a different person. Like, he, he just, yeah. he, he had, like, this was driven, I think, a lot by faith, family, like, what his, like, what was going to be best for him. And I honestly think that this is, this was nothing to do with, like, like, like if he would have stayed and people would be like, this is the dumbest, it's the only, it's the only thing he can do is go pro. It's obvious he's going pro. We had, we had several people say that. I, I don't think that's necessarily true either way. I think, I think he, he's just, Made this decision uh, based off, you know, based like different things than, than most of us would. Exactly, and that's the the tough thing to remember with a situation like this is, I don't I don't think there's a comp for to a situation. I, I really don't, and and part of that is because of this. A big part of that is the injury stuff. Right, I mean, we've we've seen other guys through the course of history, other great SEC quarterbacks who have debated coming back for a senior year and, and done so, like Tim Tebow, like Peyton Manning, and, and you know, you could kind of go back through you know the, the course of time and find these situations and and try and figure out, all right, well, what what do they need to show as seniors? Two was in a different situation altogether, just because this hip injury is so rare, and I think too, it's the fact that we're talking about somebody that has essentially had three major surgeries in the last twelve months. I mean, that, that is insane to his lower body, which I, I think if you take all that into account, it makes sense that he would want to go to the NFL, start that clock now to be able to make sure that, you know, two, in my opinion, is going to be a first round pick. Like, I'd be, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Tua were to fall outside of, you know, the, tw the top 20 picks or something like that, just because even if, you know, he did slip a little bit, and, you know, if Justin Herbert went ahead of him, I think somebody would even trade up to want to go and get somebody like him. And Part of that is dependent on how he's able to perform from a medical standpoint. He said the, the doctors that he met with in New York that was getting a lot of conversation over the weekend that they're really not going to know until month three or four to how he's progressing, and they're going to have to kind of wait and see. But it is worth noting that Ian Rappaport reported that Tua did get positive feedback from those doctors. How much that factored into his decision, I don't know. But ultimately, this was the choice he made, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, so <clears throat> I think when, we talked about this last week when, when Saban said he got the NFL grades back, and, and this is something people don't understand. Like this is it's like like honestly, I didn't even understand until a while back. Is in the same way that who's the guy like it's Joe Lenardi does this bracketology thing from like day one of basketball. He he does this in the same way. There are specific people, Mel Kuyper, uh, Todd McShay, our, our boy Matt Miller, who uh, their main job is projecting the NFL draft. You tell me how many times you've looked at the NFL draft and I was like, holy crap, he nailed it. Like, right? Like, he got every single one of them right. Got got 75% of them right. Like, like no. 
and but it's it's fascinating. We are consumed by it. It's, it's entertaining, so it's it's still out there. The stuff that the people get their draft grades back, these players get their draft grades back. They're getting them back from the people actually making the draft picks. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the it's not like where these you know analysts and pundits are saying that they're projected to go. So I think that's a positive sign. I think that he wouldn't have. I honestly don't think he wouldn't have gone if he didn't have that draft grade and and didn't get at least a a good reaction or a good good feedback from the medical issue. But what worries me about this is we see it all the time when it comes to being draft day is I don't want to say the shadiness of of how the draft takes place, but like the smoke the smoke like you know, people throwing up smoke screens all the time and, and, and doing stuff where they're saying they're gonna take one person and then letting them drop and you see this happen a lot. I'm gonna be pretty disappointed if this kid goes pro and, and, and thinks it's the it's the best decision for him and then somebody up in the NFL, which is a lot more ruthless than the college game, especially from like a, a business standpoint, lied to him. Yeah, and they can't predict the future necessarily. I mean, that's part of the, the thing with the draft grades, and that's you know worth remembering. For what it's worth, Mel Kuyper still has him at number three as his overall prospect on his big board. And Tua did say that he is optimistic that he will play this year. If that becomes more clear as we get closer to the draft, I think the likelihood of some sort of free fall becomes less likely. And I think that there are going to be more teams that are really going to fall in love with him because, as we know, and Saban said, look, Tua has probably made more of an impact on Alabama than anybody in the history of this program. And Tua is not going to fail in this pre-draft process. There's just no way that anybody is going to sit down with that kid and say, yeah, you know what, I don't know if I could really see him as the face of our franchise. Like, think about that. Nobody's going to come away with a negative impression of Tua. And to me, that's what's going to help him if there are those questions. Because, yes, you're right, there is that, that smoke and mirrors. And if you are going to draft a quarterback in the first round, you've got to be willing to say, this is a guy that we really feel like we can build our organization around. And I think Tua is going to answer all those questions. Now, obviously, things can happen if he has some sort of setback. That changes the equation. But, man, the way that things are trending right now, I'd be surprised if we're looking at back at this in the last week of April and we're saying, man, it's kind of tough that he made this decision. It's too bad that he slipped as far as he did. Yeah, and I tell you what, like, the only reason I say that, too, is because like, I, I, don't, I don't care. If, I said from the get-go that I think he should go. Like, I was hoping he stayed as a fan. Yeah, I would love for him to stay another year. But, like, you know what I didn't want to see if he did stay another year is the same scrutiny that he's constantly under. Because he would have faced that if he came exactly. back, Exactly, and if he gets hit by somebody, and, and and they don't protect quarterbacks in college football the way they do in the NFL. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I talked about this with Chuck Smith the other day. He made a really good point, and, and, and I've I've said this for a long time about NFL quarterbacks, and, and, and I don't, the shift that we've seen recently is you draft them high, they start right away. And if he's injured, I want him to have a healthy return and, and obviously, like I said, make the best decision for him. But what an incredible – like this This is the perfect setup if a team does take him and he's able to sit out a year and able to learn an offense and able to study under somebody else that's the current quarterback where it's not like all this extra pressure and then rushing back from injury, injury and doing it the right way. Like they used to do a lot in the NFL, like Aaron Rodgers did. I know he wasn't coming back from injury, but like that system I think seems to work when you're not just thrusting a kid into – all of this chaos that is the NFL because it's a much faster, tougher game. The the one thing I will say about you know you said like this has become like a spectacle and the fact that it was I know it rubbed people the wrong way. I could like completely acknowledge that that you know he had it, it, on the ESPN app it had its own channel. <laughs> it's like it's like the two announcement like and, and people were making it uh, a lot of a lot of comments about how this is stupid. There's no reason why he he should have this much attention or he's he's being attention sinking and and selfish about it and. 
I, I'm just gonna say right now, if you if you you're everyone's entitled their opi- their opinion, but if if that is honestly your thought about this kid, you're an idiot, and that's your opinion's wrong, and I don't care how that sounds. That kid has done nothing to to give us anything close to thinking that about him ever once in his entire career, and and just so everyone's on the same page, I can I can one thousand percent verify and tell you that. He wanted to announce this on his Instagram page. That's what everything was planned to do over the weekend. Alabama like actually commented about it, like the, the beat writers, and 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 they said we're not we're not anticipating a press conference. The reason right. why he even had the press conference is because Nick Saban asked him to have yeah. the press conference. So and I, and I got fired up about this yesterday because it was like you know not just because it's Tua or because I'm a Bama fan, it's because like the internet's so quick to react like negatively to stuff and pile on this kind of stuff, and when we don't know all the facts. And this was one of the situations. And and what what Saban said, I think everyone should listen to is that, like especially like that's that's criticizing, uh, like why this was like a huge spectacle. He has had more of an impact than any other player in the history of that program, and it's a pretty, pretty you know, big program. And and I think he was right. I think that's why it was important. He wanted to give him that platform too. I, I think he did. I don't think he I, wanted I, to be on it though. Yeah, I mean, Tua is not that type of guy, and but at the same time, you know, I think Saban kind of recognized, look, this is somebody who has just been somebody that's been such a main part of the college football landscape the last couple of years. It'd feel weird if he just kind of announced it via Instagram. We we feel that he has been the face of our program, and we want to do right by that, no matter what he decides. And I think that that would have been a case if he came back to school. It would have been the case if he decided yeah. to go to the NFL, which ultimately that's what he did. But to me, this isn't necessarily about attention-seeking or no. anybody like that that's trying to you know say, like, oh, why do you do it this way, this way? Tell, everyone, tell me else, everyone else did it on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, like two, uh, Tebow announced he was coming back, you know, at at, at, at the parade, at a pep rally, like, yeah, at a parade, like that. That to me is, you know, well, I, and the, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I'm going to. the The other thing about that is that they do this every year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Remember Derrick Henry and Ashawn Robinson? That picture of them, yeah. which is just so funny. I mean, that I, I still I crack up every time I it's see ridiculous. that. It's ridiculous. You're right. They office. do this every year. And that's, it, it makes sense. It does, and I think that you know, this is one of those things where it's like. No, like, like he he necessarily didn't want to do it, and then t- like he was asked to do it, and he obliged. And 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 I tell you what, if it's it's one of those things where because this is I remember like, when Tebow left, I had a lot of the same ignorant like thoughts because he was a rival quarterback. He beat my team, and he was I was like, oh, he's not that great. He's he did this and that, and like you know, it's not that important. And I was wrong about all that. It was it was rooted in ignorance and fandom. Um, the stuff about Tua, just just like kind of going over his career and why this, like the impact that he had at this program. This is because because a lot of us, and in, in, in part of this is my fault. I, I made the comment last year about him being soft, and and, and the injuries have been such an, a huge, huge part of his time there, and they've had an impact. They'll have an impact on his legacy and in a lot of people's eyes. But I, when I look at his career, he basically started for a year and a half, right? Yeah, like he yeah, basically started. He, he essentially started for a year and a half. He had twenty four total starts. His in, his entire career, right? Twenty four starts. That's less than Manzel. He had he had better numbers than Manzel. He had he will end his career as as the SEC's all time leader in pass efficiency rating. Uh, He's going to be the most efficient passer in college football history. He that, actually that won't he won't win that because he had the uh, he didn't take he needed one more snap and he didn't take it in the in the bowl game. He uh, would have set the all time record for QBR or something like that. ESPN disagrees. Then, in terms of passing efficiency, he mm. is he is still, according to them, going to end his oh. career as the most efficient I mean, passer. I but either way, he ends he ends as the SEC's all time leader in pass efficiency rating, completion percentage, yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, and total yards per play. 
and and he he's finished ninth in total touchdowns with 96 and seventh in total passing touchdowns in eight, with 87 and the only seven of those touchdowns came in the fourth quarter of games it, pretty good it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good. good career man it was a pretty good career pretty good yeah he was i'm gonna miss watching him at the college ranks i i really am and he is somebody that i have just enjoyed every single chance and it doesn't matter who they're playing that's when you know that you are a fun exciting player is that you tune in in the same way that we talked about manzel or cam or tebow these guys that we we want to watch even when they're playing you know the, the crappy teams that you know that they're going to be pulled at halftime that to me was what separated to and what made him so fun to watch obviously he would have liked to have ended his career in a different way but still won the national championship to me you know we've already kind of talked about his legacy and run through it but it, it is still safe to me so let's spin it forward a little bit because tua now that we know that he is going we know that he is going, Xavier McKinney's going, Jerry Judy, Jedrick Wills, Trayvon Diggs, staying at Alabama, Dylan Moses, Alex Leatherwood, Devontae Smith. As we found out right before we came on that Devontae Smith is coming back to be determined, Najee Harris and Henry Ruggs. There have been reports that Henry Ruggs will be leaving. We'll wait to see officially on that. But as it relates to 2020 Alabama, because that's what we, we, we have to do is we have to talk about how this impacts this team moving forward. If we had been talking about Tua coming back, whew, that preseason buzz would have been off the charts. And it would have been probably Bama as the preseason number two in the number two team in the country just because Trevor Lawrence is returning for Clemson. We would expect Clemson to be the preseason number one. The quarterback battle is... Well, before we talk about that, is Bama, do you think... You know, given the names that we have mentioned there, and I know there are a couple things we're waiting on. Do you think Bama starts in in the top three going into next year? Yeah, always. <laughs> like I don't know if they but should, I, but I think they will because it's voted on by. I mean, yeah, I think because the name alone. I mean, like, like I think Georgia should be ahead of them. I think uh, I don't know. Ohio State with Justin has. Fields. That's that's my yeah. question. Is low Georgia and Ohio State? Yeah. I, I um, will say though, what's crazy about this, and I. I like, I'm like, a, I'm not like somber and sad that two is gone because I, but it's like a weird thing. Oh man, like that kind of sucks because it's like, you know, it's a, it's a big, big piece next year. Lost in all of this is what you just said. These are three players that were all projected in, not by the draft projections that we talked about with two, but like the all like the McShay, Kuiper, all those things. These are three first round picks that Between are all, Moses, three, Leatherwood, and Smith. Yeah. Three first round picks are coming mm-hmm. back for next year, which is a, that's huge. That rarely happens. I don't it think it's ever. Like, yeah, I've never seen that happen at Alabama, and that's that's going to be the difference. I think this team is going to have a much different identity with with Moses alone. I mean, that that just kind of changes things in the way that Alabama's defense is going to be able to function. Um, so, I think this quarterback battle, just as it was entering the 2018 season, where it's the most interesting quarterback battle in the country, one of the most interesting quarterback battles we've ever had. I think it is now really, really interesting going into this year, and you're going to hear so much about this, and understandably so. The fact that you have Talia Tungabailoa, you have a, an incoming five-star guy and Bryce Young and Mac Jones. Tua even talked about it in his press conference today about how interesting that battle is going to be and how great that competition. He actually failed to mention Paul Tyson, the great-grandson of Bear Bryant, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I think this, this situation would have been even more, maybe even more interesting if two had come back to see what Bryce Young and Mac Jones would have done. And I'm not saying interesting because Bama fans would have been like, oh, yes, this is good. You worry, obviously, about quarterbacks transferring in this day and age. 
had Tua come back, where Mac Jones could have ended up, maybe a place like Georgia, that to me would be just crazy, crazy intriguing for the college football world. But now it is still a battle that we're going to follow very, very closely. I'll give you a hot take on it right now that Talia ends up at LSU. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's that's something I'm here for. Yeah. Well, will he be on LSU's roster in 2020 with immediate eligibility? I I don't know if it's going to happen that soon. I I I think Mac Jones is a great quarterback. Um, and everything for this Bryce Young kid is like like he he I don't know he won the the MVP of the All American game all that kind yep. of stuff. And he's he's gotten like you know I haven't honestly watched him close enough to to get into that just because you know like recruiting is is a whole other animal. Um, but Talia was very sought after from LSU. His official LSU visit made was, that late push. Yeah, yeah. and that, that was LSU. His official visit to LSU was the weekend of the Bama game. You mm-hmm. saw him remember, like Coach O was with him personally walking down the field. I think I think just with I love Tua and I love the family and all that kind of stuff. But with the theatrics that have somehow or sometimes uh, gone on, like it's like how close knit their family is, I could see them. Like if if he's not the guy, oh, I, I see what you're saying. I yeah. could see Talia not being at that school anymore. Talia is going to be the guy somewhere. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a matter of where that exactly is going to be. Bryce it's be Young. Is, what if what if Bryce Young just repeated history and <laughs> against USC, just like Jalen Hurts did oh, a couple yeah. years ago, where Jalen Hurts wasn't starting in that game against USC, he comes in and they of course dominate in the second half. If Bryce Young were to do the same thing and to do that to USC, where he's from, against the school that recruited him and yeah. made that late push for him, I mean that would be oof. Yikes! For if USC. Mac Jones just continues to ball out, we finally give him credit. It's <laughs> like not me and you. I'm just saying in general. But yeah, I, I would I would tell you I don't even think it's a bold prediction. I, like you guys write it down, and I want you to remember who said it first. Well, not, I didn't say it first, but but <laughs> Talia Tungavailoa will be at LSU. Wow! But, All right, I'm I'm here for that. Um, and and who knows how the the start of the schedule is going to impact that Alabama quarterback battle? You have USC in week one, and then oh by the way, you host Georgia week three. And that Georgia defense with the pieces returning, we found out over the weekend that Richard LeCount's coming back for Georgia. Man, that uh, that is potential to be a very very special unit for sure. All right, let's move on to something that I didn't think we were going to be talking about. I'll be honest. And when this came down, there was speculation on Thursday night. I saw Ross Dellinger reported that there was there was rumors that MSU was really thinking about firing Joe Moorhead. And then as we find out Friday morning, that is the case. Athletic Director John Cohen said that Moorhead wasn't a fit, said that the, the bowl game performance, which was just a total disaster, something that we criticized last week a lot, and the, the practice altercation, and that, that really kind of led to this decision being made. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I've tried to kind of dial it back and I, I'm admitting here, I like Joe Moorhead a lot. I, I, I really, really do. I mean, I've, I've been a big believer of his for the last four years that I've watched this guy and his offense very closely. I've seen it up close in person at Penn State. I saw what it did to that really good Wisconsin defense in the Big Ten Championship back in 2016. Like, I, I am I am a With Moorhead guy through and through. With Saquon Barkley, who was really good, but not not Saquon Barkley until Joe Moore had showed up. Worth mentioning. I think that, for me, this is a bad look for Mississippi State, for, for John Cohen, for a lot of people involved with, with this, this football program to see a move made like this after year two for a variety of reasons. 
I thought that the fight was bad. I, I thought it was, as I said, it was the, the sign of a team that was kind of coming apart at the seams. Bad look, all of that. I felt that it was used a little bit more of an excuse. And it was kind of a reactionary deal when you're making this decision after a bowl game, after a game in which it's not an excuse. They obviously had a lot of guys out in that game. Still no excuse for being able to allow 31 straight points in that game, something that we've talked about. But to make this decision at the timing that they did, after Ole makes the hire of Lane Kiffin, after you already have signed an entire recruiting class, and who knows what are going to happen to yeah. those kids who they're still trying to keep with their national letters of intent, and they're trying to say, hey, look, you know, you signed to a school, you didn't sign to a coach necessarily. To me, that's crap. They should be able to yeah, be let go from their national letter of intent if that, if that is what they want. But the deck was stacked against Moorhead, and part of that was his own doing. Showing up and doing the ring size comment in hindsight, and he admitted it. He admitted it this past year at SEC Media Days. It was a mistake. But it always goes back to you never want to be the guy after the guy. And he was the guy after the guy. Mullen was that guy for that program. He wasn't Dan Mullen. But if you looked at their first two years and you saw that Joe Moorhead was 14 and 12 with a 7 and 9 record in the SEC, you'd be surprised to see that Dan Mullen was 14 and 11 with a 7 and 9 record in the SEC. But expectations and perceptions shape everything. Mullen did not have the roster that Moorhead did. Moorhead had that roster because of Dan Mullen, and that was held against him, and I understand it. And the fact that they only had eight wins last year, despite the fact that that was the most tied for the most wins for a first-year Mississippi State coach ever, despite that number, it didn't matter because what Mullen left for Moorhead was supposed to be a 10-win team, as I had talked about. He disappointed in that year. But did what he did in those first two years warrant him to be fired? In my opinion, no way. No way. You needed to give him that year three. And to me, going to two straight bowl games and having the, the two seasons that they did did not warrant an athletic director saying, you know what, I'm cutting bait on this hire. I'm making this decision right now. I can't dig us into any deeper of a hole. Connor, if you came on this podcast and the first thing out of your mouth when you came onto the podcast, if we got any pushback or just in general or there was stuff that was rocky or, or whatever, and the first thing you brought up was... I'm not from here. I'm a Yankee. You're going to have to drag my Yankee ass out of here. And you were combative with the people that were in a totally different part of a region you were ever comfortable with. How do you think that reaction would go over? Oh, I think Joe Moorhead was comfortable in the South. I don't think that was there's any question about that. I think he was not embraced by a lot of people who were quick to cite that and quick to say, how is this Yankee performing and how is he taking away everything that we thought we had? And I get it. There's a sense of pride, no, and it was a grunt. Answer the question. How do you think that would go over? Oh, if I if I said that to my to my bosses to, to, and I said that to, to the our fans, audience, it would not go well. No, it would and not it deservingly well. so. And you and, and and like the the issue. You're right about a lot of stuff in here with Moorhead and stuff he did, and 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 all that kind of stuff. I don't think things went south because of the ring sizing comment. I think things went south because he had he he did underperform. He did a, no, no. I, I didn't say they went south because of that. I'm saying he didn't live up to expectations. Right. Those were the the bar that he set too high for himself. Okay, yeah. right. So, and I agree with that. And and I, I think, I think that in this, this is a few situations. I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way. I think this is just like me, like analyzing it. There's a few situations in in our on our podcast or in the SEC where you're closer to your reactions because of your not fandom, but your like like or appreciation for something or someone versus it being strictly 
like logical context and, and, and reacting that way. I think you did a good like a great job of, of pointing out both sides and what he did wrong. But I think the reason why you're upset is because you like Warhead. You're a Warhead guy. You got to see what he did at Penn State and like and no one else did. When he came to the SEC, not a single person in this conference, people that didn't re- report on it, you were like unique in that sense that you had you had been following this. You knew the Moorhead offense and how much it improved and all this kind of stuff and you were kind of ahead of the curve on that. What I will say is that like yeah, he did great with with a generational player that has been compared to Barry Sanders, and and he didn't do that at Mississippi State. And he, on top of that, I think when he took he he he's he's so much fun and likable and a great dude and like likes rap, like is is like a Loves cool interview. Hip hop. He's that. like a, he's just a, he's a dude. You want to you want to hang out with him? Like he's he's a fun he's a fun guy. Like I I'd rather hang out with him than almost any other coach in the SEC because he seems like one of us. He's, uh, he's, he's a dude like that. But what where he went wrong was, and this happens, I think, you know, it can happen a lot of times with people, is the moment there's pushback from somebody over cultural differences or regional, like they're not from the same area or whatever, both sides got defensive and Joe Moorhead got very defensive. And when he tried to kind of pound his chest after the Egg Bowl especially, after, like, they, they escaped with that win over a kid doing a fake dog pee celebration. They should have won that game. And like yeah, but he, felt, he mismanaged the coach, team the whole you, year. If you if you're a coach and you feel like everybody has questioned every single thing that you have done throughout the year and you feel like that was your What did he do? He beat he beat a team that was four and eight? Like like if that if that's if everyone's questioned you because you lost to Tennessee, you lost to Kansas State, you beat Kentucky, you I mean like he, he hadn't done anything. He had he he did nothing of significance besides go six and six and beating a four and eight team to get there at the very end. Like he I I, I like Joe Moore as a person. He he didn't do anything this season. He he brought in a transfer quarterback from Penn State and Tommy Stevens, and he mismanaged the quarterback situation the whole year. He, like the, the, the offense was trash without without uh, Kylan Hill. The defense took a major step back from last year, and that's going to happen because you have three first round draft picks. But when that all happens and you're not doing things to defend yourself, I get I get like the ego that goes into it and wanting to be like, hey, we made a bowl, and he did do things that were similar to Mullen. And you're right, you don't want to be the guy after the guy. And and Mississippi State's program hasn't ever had this like huge huge vaunted history. But when you come into that situation, it's still a proud, proud fan base, and you're in the SEC. Yep. And when no you doubt. go out of your way to cont- like, like Chuck Oliver talked to us the other day, and he said he's like, you know, this is one of the situations where it's like, hey, hey, we get it, everything's fine, we're gonna move forward. Just don't, just, just be quiet for a little while. Don't say anything. And he couldn't do it. He refused to do it because he was too prideful, in my opinion, and that's why he got let go. And I think he deserved to be let go. I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you that that when you have an entire fan base that's calling you out and saying that you can't succeed in this place and do that and that's what everybody had been questioning and calling him I, you know what and it frustrates me because yeah I'm a, I'm a native Midwesterner and when you use that word against me a Yankee and use it in a derogatory way as if to say I don't understand this this and this it pisses me off and every single time I hear something like that just like Moorhead does he thinks to himself oh these are people that think I just don't get it and I'm not going to be able to succeed in this place despite the fact that he was recruiting top 25 class despite the fact that he had beaten Ole Miss twice. I'm not saying that that's definitively the reason that somebody needs to stay and needs to stay in a job, but when people are repeatedly using that word against you, yes, it's going to come out in that heat of the moment thing after a game like that, after a big emotional win where you beat your rival. I get all of that. To me, 
there was never going to be a way in which he was going to get public he was going to get public support from this from you know the the university the fan base all these different things unless he did exactly what Mullen was yeah. able to do in the time that he left. Oh, it was, he was so for me, in their expectations. That's that's the that's so that's that's the thing that frustrates me the most though, is that is that following a situation like Mullen was in because of where he where he came from. And because that was used against him, and it seemed like this guy just clearly doesn't get it. And, they, and you saw from Cohen. Cohen used that as his, as his out to be able to say, oh, this wasn't the right fit, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you had two years, and this was a guy that you hand-plucked, and you said this is going to be the guy to replace Mullen. And Mississippi State did not fall off the face of the earth. I realized they did not achieve what, what Moorhead had been hoping that they were going to, but this was still a program that was ranked going into the playoff and going into the postseason as of last year. And at a place like Mississippi State that has one win in SEC play in the 21st century, this isn't Florida State. This isn't a place that says, you know what, we've, we've seen what you've done 14 and 12 through two years isn't good enough. Six Power 5 coaches from 1990 to 2018 were fired before the start of their third season. We have since seen in this very short period of time, the last month and a half, three guys, Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, Joe Moorhead, all fall into that group. Joe Moorhead was different than either of those two guys. Chad Morris didn't win a single SEC game. He lost to three group of five teams that he should have beat the pants off of. Willie Taggart at a place that had the longest active bull streak in the country. All that program did was win. I realize Jimbo Fisher left that program not in the best state, but firing Willie Taggart when they did made sense because he couldn't even sign a quarterback. Joe Moorhead was in a different position than those two guys. So anybody that's going to sit here and compare him to those, yeah. that to me is ridiculous. I don't, in I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to get offended by it, but like, just being like logical about it, like, like the Yankee thing, like, there, there are things you don't get. There are things he doesn't get, and that's not a bad thing. You work your ass off more than anyone in this, like, that I've ever been around in this industry to try and learn. Like and 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 like accept and and understand and all this other stuff because you're not from here and it and like that's not a bad thing, Connor. Like you're a healthier person than like than all of us. Like than, than having like these irrational. I don't eat deep fried food all the time. <laughs> that's, that's also what it true. Is. But when you have, like in the in the South, it is different, and it's not just that it just means more. And I'm trying to like sound like this proud, like yo, you you ain't from around here, boy. You don't get it. But For there sure. there is a part of it where. That you you didn't get it. Like when he came in, I, I said, I, you said he's going to win 10 games. I said, Connor, that program has never won more than 10 games. I said they were the South yep. Carolina of the East. And it's, it's stuff that is, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have expectations at all. But like, just you go over this, like, there's a lot of stuff I think that, that he, when you, when you, when there is backlash and it's not like that it should have been warranted for Joe Moorhead, that he should have been ostracized for being. He deserved criticism and we've criticized him here before, yeah, for sure. But, but, and, but like, I don't think the reason he was fired came down to the fact that he's a Yankee. We don't want him here any, at all, at, at all, because because the players obviously liked him, and the you know he had a lot of things like that. Actually, he didn't have a lot of things. He had a few things like that 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 were his leg to stand on. And when when you go when you when you sit here and you underperform for two years in a row, and I don't give it, I don't give a crap that he won eight games, which is the most ever Mississippi State history. That's not a proud history of football. Like they they don't have a lot of like like the great stats to back up like why this program is great. You win eight games. You he did underperform. He shouldn't have won ten, yep. but he definitely underperformed. He lost games he shouldn't have lost. He. You brought up the fact they were ranked going into the postseason, Connor. They have finished ranked only fourteen times their entire in their entire program history. Neither with Joe Moorhead. Like he, he this year especially that that schedule was easier than than like you, you're you're in the, the toughest division in football. 
but your schedule was a joke compared to the rest of those teams. You didn't play A and M schedule. Like hell, you didn't even play Bama schedule. Like like they 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 had a better year than Arkansas, and you're right about that. But he continuously underperformed. And when you go out and you beat an Ole Miss team that was four and eight, and you beat your chest and say that like you know what like you know the players like me. This is my damn team. This is my program. Blah blah. And, and the leg you have to stand on is you you won the Egg Bowl by default, and then you go to a bowl game and your players are fighting each other to where your quarterback is knocked out of the of the game, and it's like that's that's a problem. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying that this is this is dismissible. And I thought that Willie Gay should have been suspended for the Music City Bowl. I get that. Practice fights happen. Oh yeah. Like, let's not make this. Let's not make this out to be like oh because this happened in Mississippi State. This is a sign that like the guys just lost the program entirely. Like to me that was a little bit used from Mississippi State fans is too much of a leg to stand on and getting embarrassed. That's what this came off as. And it to yeah. me the problem is that John Cohen looked at this situation and this is a guy who's a first time athletic director yep. and he said you know what I see public public support is clearly against Joe Moorhead right now. And that's what I go back to, the stuff about being called this Yankee, being this outsider who's ruining what Dan Mullen is, is built and all of those things. And if public support is that much against you, if you're an athletic director, that's what you're going to be judged by. True or false, if you're an athletic director at an SEC program, the, the livelihood of yourself is going to be based on the on the football coaches that you hire, Not correct? Not State. I, they, Connor, they, they, they were a top program in women's basketball. They were a top program in baseball every single year. Yes, they, they just spent all, millions of dollars on this incredible baseball. I don't think people at Mississippi State necessarily identify with themselves, and this isn't a bad thing. Football is king in the South. Football is king at every SEC school. Yes, you're right about that. But his him being an AD, he didn't. I don't think any part of him did this because he was just trying to like grasp for something for public support so he looked better. I think I think he was warranted in doing it. I, like like if I if I said there's there are sometimes like and you've probably been here way less than I have, but like when you are you are in a argument with a your significant other or or somebody or a boss and you you know you want to say something and you know you want to clap back and the best thing to do though is to just be quiet and let it go and and it's all, I think that's all you had to do. But when you clap back and then you start giving reasons as to why the other person's wrong and those reasons are rooted in the things that then come to light as are negative, I, it looks bad. It does look bad. I, I mean, I think this is somebody, though, who has just been losing public support since the minute he got there. And I think that weighed on him for sure. It absolutely did. Should that be something that fires a coach before his third year? In my opinion, no. Joe Moorhead, I'll admit it, he deserved to be on hot seat list going into year three. But he deserved to have a year three. He deserved right. to be able to have one more year to run it back with, with yes, maybe with another quarterback. The Nick Fitzgerald thing didn't work out as well as we thought it was going to. He was not a good fit in Joe Moorhead's system, despite the fact that the numbers actually showed he improved in the latter half of the yeah. season. But I get it. He underperformed. That's that's not you know debatable for all that. But I, I just think that somebody in his position at a Power 5 program, you deserve to have a third year. And I will say with Mississippi State, just so we're all on the same page here, this is a program that has played football for 115 years. In those 115 years, they have one AP top 10 finish in 1940. The total 10-win seasons, they have three. They've never won more than 10. They've never won more than 10 in any year of their entire program. Uh, seasons with nine or more wins, they have nine total. Mullen had four of those. So you're right about it. Like, it sucks to be the guy after the guy. And, and they've only finished ranked in the AP poll at the end of the season. 14 total times and never more than three times in a single decade. 
and fans fans aren't going to get this, but in terms of how it impacts the coaching race, and maybe by the time that we're finishing this, MSU is going to be zeroed in on a candidate. But what we know, or at least from what we've been told so far, was that Billy Napier was the primary candidate mm-hmm. that Mississippi State was going after. That is what I had heard immediately right after that Mississippi State boosters were expecting him to be named the head coach there. That, however, has since been denied, that he, he has denied even being a candidate. And you look at the pool of candidates who are available. I'm not saying it's a bad pool of candidates. It's a different time in the coaching carousel. But here's the issue. If you are saying, as a head coach, I'm going to uproot my life to go be, be the head coach at Mississippi State and have John Cohen be my boss, you want to say that you have, a, you have a boss who trusts you and trusts you and gives you time to be able to build this thing up the way that you see fit. And if you're a head coach and you have a little bit of hesitancy, and I'm not sure if this factored into Billy Napier's decision, I'm not, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but what kind of message does it send if you're if you're going to work for an athletic director who just fired somebody in Moorhead's position after two years, given what they had went, given what they had gone through, and given what he was able to do? And I'm not saying it was as good as Mullen. I'm not saying that, but that is a tough message to send into the coaching world, and it's not exactly the most inviting thing to say. Oh, look, come play for us. Does does John Cohen have to sit there and accept the mediocrity all day? No, I'm not saying that. But there are other things that factor into moves like this that are very drastic, that are more than just, oh, this guy wasn't winning at the level that he wanted, so he's gone. Boom, we'll find somebody else who can. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that to an extent. But I also think that there's a point just in the same way that you want to be able to trust your employer. That employer wants to be able to know, like, hey, man, you're my employee. And if, if, I'm, if I'm trying to explicitly tell you, like, hey, dial it down a notch, like, lay low for a minute, stop, like... Don't be, don't, don't make yourself like, don't make yourself a target, a bigger target than you already have. But he went on, he went on national TV on fine, on fine bomb. It, well, I guess fine bomb SEC network yeah. not technically national TV. He went on TV and had this awkward press conference in the middle of the season in year two. It didn't even deny that. Oh yeah. Like he's going to be our guy. He's coming back for sure. And I think from that point on, yeah, it's, it's I, you make it awkward. I think he believed he was going to be his guy. And I think that there was, there was stuff going on behind the scenes that were like, Hey man, like, why is this not happening? Why is this not improving? Why? Like, like, and here's, here's another question for you. Connor's like, if he came back for year three, what are the expectations? What do you think he would have done differently? Because they're still they're still the same program, and it's like you're you're further removed from Mullen's players. And I get that he yep. he recruited a top twenty five class. It was ranked literally number twenty five, and that's not you know that's not a knock on him, but like consecutive I, top twenty five class. I think was that was ranked eleventh in the conference, yep. right? Tenth or eleventh in the conference, probably. Yeah. So I don't know where you think that he's going to necessarily vault to or or, or go ahead of. Other teams in the same conference. I don't. I don't know their schedule for next year. Are they getting Kentucky again? I haven't. I haven't looked closely at the schedule. So at, at I just don't know what the expectations would be for. And like, if it's if you go into next year, and it's like, do we want another seven and five season or six and six season where it's the same same crap and we make the same excuses? And you know, and one other thing about this is like, I think one problem we have, and you you've handled everything from a logical standpoint and done the research and and are stating your opinion and and giving like valid points as to why that's your opinion, and but like. One thing that's that I think people can lose sight of sometimes is if you're if you are on the outside of of this program because we're not we didn't go to Mississippi State we're not we don't live in Mississippi I've never been to Starkville like if if it comes off as even more like almost offensive when you're trying to tell a fan base like this is why you're wrong this is why you're wrong it's like hold on 
I've been watching this my entire life. And I'm telling you right now, mm-hmm. yeah, not it. maybe my expectations are too high because of Moorhead, but like this is my thing. This is not your yeah. thing or your thing or your thing. Like, yep. like so you don't get to come in here and tell me how things are gonna be different. And 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 especially from the coach's standpoint, you don't get to come in, tell me things are gonna be different, and then they're the same. Yeah, shout out to my guy Sarthik, who we we talked a little bit about, about Mississippi State and just kind of the, the dynamics at play there. Look, like I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. Part of this, part of this is the fact that he is my guy, and he is somebody that I I have liked and I you know been in good communication with throughout his time there. And like I, I feel, yeah, there there of course is a sense of pride, and like I'm trying to be as logical as possible. And and would I be saying this if I thought that he was just a regular human being who I had no sort of background with, yeah. or like somebody that I followed closely? And and I I really really truly believe that I would still be banging the drum for him. Not obviously having the you know the the personal context to be able to provide with it as well, but you see some of the stories that have come out. I think it was I think it was the Starkville Times, the local Starkville paper that had a great story about him, you know, about Moorhead and you know his efforts to be able to, to help the homeless over yeah, the holidays. Yeah, he's a great like, dude. Yeah, like nobody's nobody's denying that. And I think you know the the frustrating thing to me is that you see a, a group of fans who never fully embraced him when Moorhead, in my opinion, did everything and more to try and show his his entire self and to try and adapt to this area and try and adapt to Starkville and try and truly say, look, this is my home. I am embracing you. I'm doing everything I can to try and learn this new area of the country because so many people in this world, I'm not accusing necessarily everybody of doing this, but what do they say? 50% of people in this world never leave their hometown and instead they just sit there. Oh, I'm, I, I guess I think, I'm a, that person. <laughs> not no, you've left, you've left your hometown. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you, I guess, you know, you lived in Columbia for part of your life as well, but like so many people never live their hometown, leave their hometown yeah. and they sit there and they judge people who come into it. And yeah. to me, like, that's the frustrating thing when it would be different if Moorhead had a different attitude, I think, throughout this process in terms of embracing kind of the culture, embracing who Mississippi State is, Starkville, all those things. But to me, that for whatever reason, didn't do him any favors with the public. I, I think that it's just uh, it, it's frustrating for me just to kind of see the way the things have developed. That's fair. All right, I'm out of breath now. I'm out of breath. Let's get more <laughs> out of breath. Let's talk about some all decade team stuff. Um, so I want to start. I'll start, with... you stupid Yankee. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, let's start with let's start with the offense and keep in mind. Um, so when it comes to all decade stuff, you can look at this from a variety of ways. And I, I think that it's the guys who defined a decade for me. And, and sometimes that can be a career body of work. Sometimes there are cases like Cam Newton where it's just one season. But that one season was so ridiculously good that you feel like you have to reward it. So keep that in mind as we kind of go through some of this stuff because there are guys who, you know, like Aaron Murray's got better career numbers than Cam Newton, but did he ever have a season that transcended college football like Cam Newton? No. So to me, leaving Cam Newton off the all-decade team would just be offensive. And and to me, I, I I can't make that case. You could almost make the case that he deserves to be the offensive MVP. You could probably make a good case that he deserves to be the offensive MVP just because of the 2010 season that he had where he was, you know, the only offensive player drafted that following year from that Auburn team, as Gene Chizik likes to bring up to us. What were your thoughts as we kind of go through? And do I, would it be better if I went through the all-decade team and then we kind of circle well, back to I'll it? I'll tell you my thoughts first and, and tell you. Because, like, this was so frustrating reading some of this stuff. And it's like, this is this is all going to be, for the most part, rooted in opinion, right? It, 100%. And, it's hard. A lot of these things are very, very similar. And, and yeah. peel behind the end, when we did this, I like one of the things I'm doing in 2020 is I'm just going to be more honest now. 
and and you weren't being honest before you were lying yeah, i was lying to everyone <laughs> i've never told y'all how i truly feel about anything um but, <laughs> excuse me so the thing with um the thing the thing with the all decade team was that bothered me was like it's a very tough task to come up with right and Thank you for ev- everyone's going to have a lot of different opinions. <laughs> and so it's it's almost doomed to fail from the start because everyone's going to be yeah. like. And so and it's it's interesting, too. The quarterback thing is going to be the most like, pro, like uh, what's the word? Like, polarizing out of any of the arguments because it's like, one, most of these players are from rival schools. And most sure. of these players had these seasons where every other fan base was sick of hearing about them. You know what I mean? Aaron mm-hmm. Murray is honestly the only one I think that if you went across the board, people would be like, Aaron Murray's a good guy. I like Aaron Murray. Good like, dude, if it was, like, Cam dude. Newton, Johnny Manziel, Tua, Burrow, any of that, they'd be like, God, overrated, hate him, here's why. <laughs> and and so it was it was frustrating for me, though, because we had, the way it was delivered on some of the stuff was like, like, all right, here's here's the all-decade team that you came up with, which is great, and then I got, like, another task of, like, here's who we think the best player of all, all the whole decade was. And yeah, none of them tough. were the player that were on the all-decade team. I was like, oh, my God. Right, right. So, yeah, that's it's tough because we... You know, sometimes it looks like, I, I don't speak for everybody yeah. at SDS. And there's a common misconception sometimes when these things go up. And it, it just, you know, this happens with publications everywhere. Yeah. ESPN comes out with some sort of list. Everybody thinks that everybody at ESPN has this opinion when it's probably like one or two people writing it. Right. And so this is an example of that. This is an all-decade. I'll say it. <laughs> this is an all-decade team that, that I came up with. And I know that you're, you're going to have plenty of disagreements on this. And Adam Spencer does. And Michael Bratton does. And, and you know, our, our boss, Chris, you know, our editor, Chris Wright, and our boss, you know, Kevin Duffy and John Cooper. I'm sure they have totally different opinions on the way that all this We're, stuff goes I'm in a text thread with all those guys about you. So it's like... Yeah, yeah exactly. I respect nothing less. Um, so let's let's go through let's go through the roster first, and then we're going to kind of circle back to some of these these interesting talking points. So as I just mentioned, my quarterback is Cam Newton. Running back, two spots: Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb. Receiver: Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, Jordan Matthews. Tight end: Evan Ingram. Offensive line: Ryan Kelly, Barrett Jones, Luke Jekyll, Jake Matthews, Jonah Williams. AP. This was really, really tough, and we'll have to discuss this. But I had Odell Beckham, was, and I kind of regret not. I kind of regret pot, not putting Lynn Bowden, but I'll explain why I at least put Beckham because that was not my intention. When you say all purposes, is, does that mean just like an extra player, or is that like is that like special teams? It's 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 it, yeah, it's a player that has to have played special teams, which okay. people forget. He won the Paul Horning Award in 2013. He actually had three return touchdowns in his career, thousand return yards his his uh, his junior year at LSU. I actually had no intention of putting him in that spot, and then I actually went back and looked at some of the numbers and realized he was better from an all-purpose standpoint than I probably realized. Now remember. I did all of this stuff in the middle of December, Christmas. so it's not like I'm doing this. Yeah, it's not like I'm doing all of this right after we just watched Lynn Bowden have this incredible swan song game or something like that. I'm not sure how much that would have factored into it, but I kind of regret not putting him in that AP slot. Um, yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about quarterback first, because the honorable mentions on this list are really, really good. Really good. The guys who I did not have, but probably you can make a case for. Tua... Burrow and Burrow, I think if Burrow wins the national championship, you can make a legitimate case that he deserves to be at the spot at quarterback for the year that he's had. You could definitely make a case for it. Um, Johnny Manziel, AJ McCarron, Dak Prescott, Aaron Murray. Tell me where who I left off because Adam Spencer, of course, reminded me, hey, Drew Locke, no love. What's up with that? Um, <laughs> where's the where's the disagreement with that group? Um, 
this was something I struggled with even saying. Like, like the Tua thing, people aren't going to want to hear it um, because it's Tua, and, and I don't want to have to defend it, but I already gave you the stats as to why it's pretty incredible what he did. Had better numbers than Manziel. You know, like, you know, he finished in the top 10 in almost every single possible offensive category for a player in the mm-hmm. SEC, in SEC history, and then he wasn't in the top 25 in total plays. That's, Gosh, that's really that's good. so stupid. That's really freaking like, good. Uh, I would, I wouldn't. Have, but Karen was, he was fine. Like uh, people forget that Aaron Murray has is the all time leader in in career Pass touchdowns yards. and passing yards in the SEC, yeah. which is an incredible mm-hmm. stat. And it's not really that close. Um, so it's it's I I could because when I first saw his name on there, I was like, that is ridiculous. And then I went and saw the stats, like that is actually a very yep. solid there, point. There are a few guys like that who, when you look back at their body of work. Um, Jordan Matthews was one of those guys. Yeah, um, that was surprising. Derek, Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett's another one where you you don't you don't initially think of them, but then you look back at the their body work body and what work. they did throughout their entire career, and you're like, holy crap! Yeah. yeah, they need to be at least be you know considered part of this conversation. So yeah, I, like the Dak thing. What did he have a great career, or do we kind of uh, is he the only time that Mississippi State was ever relevant? You know what I mean? Like, is it, he had a good career, but it's I don't know if it's on par with some of these other guys. Like, I don't know if he won anything of super significance um, as much as the other other players have. He was a great quarterback, though, so uh, you could throw that in there. And he also started all four years, so the numbers are there. The yep. the Burrow thing is what surprises me the most, as like like because people people forget that this is he's not a one and done guy. Like he, he's yeah, like that's, that's people. People have somehow forgot that Joe Burrow played football in the SEC a year ago, and Colin Coward. Yeah, it's also true. the The thing with the thing with uh with Cam, I I think Cam Newton is the best player I have ever had to watch play cultural against my team. Like I think he might be the best player I've ever watched. Where you, just, you there was there was no answer for it necessarily. It, it was just yeah. constantly. But that being said. There's a lot of close games, and I know I know we talked about with Coach Chizik. He True. he had to carry that team a lot because Darvin Adams was not going to be a first round pick, and and some of those guys yeah. like I mean, he was he a lot of that was on him. Um, but when you look at Joe Burrow's numbers from this year, I don't know how you don't include this in there. It's the most passing yards in a single season SC history, highest highest single season completion percentage in NCAA history ever ever. And then on top of that, he's one of three SEC players ever to have over 50 touchdowns in a season and one of two players in the SEC to have over 5,000 yards in a single season. He's the only player ever to do both. And he's not done. And, like, you know what's weird? What's that? So you bring up all that, and all that's true. And I, I banged the drum a lot for Burrow in the year that he was having. said, all right, look beyond the touchdown passes. He's actually doing things better than people probably realize, um, given the, the limitations, some of what they were able to do in that offense. And in a weird way, in this argument, it almost feels like the 2018 thing kind of hurts him. We were like 16 Cam, and 5. <laughs> just made it. Yeah, because Cam was just one and done. And it was like, that's all we saw. But if Cam had this kind of like, ah, it's kind of like middle of the pack SEC quarterback type deal. And don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow led LSU to a New Year's Six Bowl victory, and that matters. But if you're looking at, if Cam had another season, another full body of work, where it was just kind of like, ah, yeah, wasn't that great. But then he took his game to the next level. We'd maybe talk about him in a little bit of a different light. He would have gotten beat the next year. No, I'm saying if he had a year before oh, what he did, like he 2000, uh, 2009, 2009 was part too. of the second he had started. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I get what you're yeah. saying. Like it's it's almost like we over romanticized because we had the one. Exactly, season. that's a good point. Yep. Okay, and, and, and that's yeah, that's a really good point. I, I don't think it takes anything away from it because I like I flat out said Cam Newton. It's I like I, I was surprised he didn't make when we did that all decade offensive player of the decade. 
I was shocked that no one picked him. Cause I, it, and I think it was just because of the one-year thing. Yeah. That's the thing that where it hurts him, actually. Right, and, that's, and that is what went into that as well. I think Cam is the most dominant quarterback I've, I've watched over the last decade, so I would yeah. I would put him in there. The Tua and Burrow thing, I think they are closer than anybody else that we listed. I, I know Murray has great numbers, and I, and I, I, I think that is, it goes unsaid. But like what Tua and Burrow have been able to do in the limited amount of time, it's almost like the opposite of the the, the, man, the Murray argument, mm-hmm. I think has been equally impressive. Like I said, the Tua thing with 24. Like, like to have more touchdowns than Manziel... And you've started twenty four total games, at like four less than him. Like what, what? I mean, and and like none of the fourth quarter stuff. I, I just think Manziel, his numbers are crazy, crazy good. I think crazy good. I think C Wright said he had more yards uh, in his two years as a starter than than the Burrow and Newton seasons combined. And that was before the Peach Bowl for Burrow. But like that's a crazy stat. Like that's that's really impressive. The one thing I'll say is that we remember watching those games. He the, he was the offense like he, the touches. Mm-hmm. He's in the top three for both both years of all time. So yeah, it wasn't quite as efficient uh, as a passer. It wasn't nearly as efficient as a passer as Tua or Burrow. Um, I, I think that it, it's just it, the game has changed so much even in the last five six years. Yeah. I mean that's that's the incredible thing that you realize when you look at back when you look back at Menzel's numbers. Running back was tough, super super tough, and I went in two kind of different directions for my picks here. Um, I went with Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb because Henry, in the same way that we talk about Newton having this year that is just so, so unbelievably good, and I don't want to get into the, the Derrick Henry I do. Christian McCaffrey debate. Let's not do that because it's irrelevant for this discussion. But when you win the Heisman Trophy, when you have 395 carries in a season, when you have, what was it, 147 carries for Bama in the last four games of the season? I, I broke it down, I, and it's uh, honestly, everyone everyone wants to talk about how, how many touches he had per game and how they gave it to him too many times and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's the only reason that's he won. That's a skill, though. Dude, his, his numbers, you know how many touchdowns McCaffrey had that year total? He had nine? Like 16 total of all purpose or like or like 15 or something like that. And like nine he, rushing. He had and like eight, he had eight yeah. rushing and five receiving. And then I yeah. think he had like three all purpose and one of those came in the last game. We won't get into that argument. But like people forget also that Derrick Henry had 28 touchdowns. Twenty-eight <laughs> touchdowns as a he running the back. SEC single-season rushing record, which that, that matters. It, it, that, that to me, there's a reason he got the Heisman Trophy in this passing in this passing yeah. era of college football. And when people say, and people say too, like like just play devil's advocate here because I, I didn't have him as my as my top running back. I'll be honest. I I had I had Gurley and I had Chubb. I don't I don't I, I would I would have Henry as my as 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 the second best running back of the decade from Bama. I would have Trent ahead of him. Um, Ooh, I thought Tr- okay. I thought Trent the way he impacted the game he impacted the game a lot more than Derrick Henry he was able to catch balls out of the backfield he was able to uh, well Henry could block but he also played in the return game a lot he he was um, I, I think I think Trent was better overall than Henry Henry just had that one incredible season Gurley yeah. and Chubb I think Gurley got cut short because of the fact that um, you know he had to sit out games because of the mm-hmm. this absolute bs from the ncaa i think that there's i I remember writing this afterwards and (laughs) and shockingly it didn't go over well i remember writing this like goodbye to to to, uh, todd Gurley when i first had my own blog on red white and bro and it was like i was like i i have not seen like i've heard about herschel and i've heard about Bo, but i've never seen a kid that when he i i it is must see tv for me when he when todd Gurley was playing at georgia it was must see TV, and it was you know you talk about the first game back after the NCAA stuff or what I think his first game back from something, mm-hmm. first touch kick return for a touchdown. Like he did things in games where you just knew that at some point he was going to take over, whether it was on a, a, a screen or a, you know a, a run off left end and 
or like in the return game. I thought he was he was better than any other running back I saw. But I remember writing all that, and someone was like, "Just sounds like you're just trying to appease Georgia fans. It's not even valid. It's not even <laughs> genuine." I was like, "Okay." I've kind of thought about what I. This is going to sound weird. There's no way to not say this. No weird way. If I could go back and play God and do things and change things about the way that things happened in the 2010s, keep Todd Gurley healthy. Keep Nick Chubb healthy the yeah. entire time, and just watch what they could do for an entire career. Yeah. would have been so fun because people forget. And and you know, obviously, you know Marcus Lattimore, another guy that I would throw into right. that conversation, where you just you just want them to be healthy, and you want you wish you could see them at their best. But the difference with Chubb, in my opinion, was despite the fact that yes, he had those just a devastating middle part of his career was the fact that he bounced back yes. as a senior and put up put up probably better numbers than people realize. I understand Sony Michelle was great in that time. Sony Michelle was the best running back in that backfield and he obviously has the more memorable play because of the touchdown in the Rose Bowl. But you look back at that year where Chubb Chubb is the best offensive player on a team that went to its first national championship in 35 years and the fact that, you know, he had 1300 rushing yards and 15 rushing touchdowns in that 2017 season for Georgia, this big like kind of rebirth of Georgia football in a way. To me, the the career body of work is just there for him. Dude. I mean, the guy still finished second in his career, second all time in SEC career rushing yards. That that matters. You look at the body of work that he put together, and it's it's very very. Well, and, and let's not forget, he also had a pretty big touchdown run in that Oklahoma game. Uh, this you is know, true. He, this he, is true. He didn't have a good game against Bama in the national championship. Sony had a much better game against him. There's no way. That you could take that as his like that should never be factored into his legacy. His man, I tell you what, one of the coolest things I remember about Nick Chubb because I was actually at a, I was at a Clemson game in uh, Death Valley or that, that fake Death Valley, sorry, um, in Clemson <laughs> the other when one. Uh, when he broke his leg, and I remember somebody sending to me, and I was like, I saw it like on my phone. I was like, oh my god, and like people like passing around the stands, and it was it was so awful because that kid, yeah. that, that's like. You never want to wish injury on anybody, but there's there's also there's some dudes that are just like that's such a good kid, like you don't want to see that happen to him. And I remember, I remember my buddy sent me a video, and he's like, "Dude, you will not believe this," because he's talking about how Chubb's going to be back, and I was worried it was going to be the end of his career or something, or like you know he's never going to play mm-hmm. college again. And within like I don't want to misquote this, but it was like within a, maybe two months, I want to say he was doing full sprints on a treadmill again, and it was like, oh my god. He, I, I love Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb was so much fun he's, to watch. He's built differently. Yeah. He is built differently. Um, running back, uh, there are a lot of guys that, that are part of that conversation. Fournette was a guy that I almost had on there. More yards really, than Henry. Really close. Uh, all time. Hit. Yeah. More yards, but I just thought that if, if I had put Fournette ahead of Henry, everybody yeah. would have just pointed to that game in 2015, and they would have said, well, what, did you just not factor that into the consideration or, or what? But, I think you kind of so, have to. And he, he sat himself, which was – we later found out he sat himself out of one of the games, like, um, that maybe he probably shouldn't have and, and like, to protect his draft stock. And uh, he was a fantastic running back. Fanta- I mean, fantastic. Some of these – yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but some of these, some of these guys like with Fournette or like with Clowney, these guys that – they're a little bit difficult to judge based on the way that they finish their careers. And that's not necessarily to say that it definitely takes away from what they did in such impressive fashion, but sometimes it kind of just lingers in the back of your mind and whether that's fair or not, because we are judging them just based on college stuff. None of this is how they succeeded in the NFL. I don't care if a guy didn't play a down in the NFL, you're still going to value what they did in, in the college game. 
So there are, uh, I think, um, if do we want to go through well, hold on. receiver? Do we I want to say with something you said real quick? Uh, we do, we'll, we'll we'll skim through the rest of it. Um, uh, but when you said the thing about about the NFL, I thought it was funny this weekend because everyone talks about how like the Henry thing with the carries and how he's like, you know, the only reason he got the carries. I guarantee you. Outside of Patriots fans or people living in in New England, there wasn't a single person in this country watching that game this weekend that was upset that he was getting so many carries because he yep. he ended that dynasty uh, pretty swiftly this weekend. That was that was funny. Um, uh, the receiver stuff, I didn't think this. I think the only one that we may have missed was uh, Jerry Judy should not be on there. Um, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Jerry Judy should be on there. I mean, he he had a great he had a great year. Who's ahead of him? Uh, Jordan Matthews is definitely ahead of him. Amari Cooper's ahead of him. When was AJ Green in Georgia? Days, yeah. Before the two, the 2010s, it was before the 2010s. Had, I think he had one season. I think he had one season in the 2010s. Right. Okay. But it was yeah, not even like that necessarily of a great yeah. season. But I I gave Judy the edge because it wasn't just this. And I I realized like heading into the bowl game, he wasn't playing his best. But guy still won the Blitnikoff last year and was really oh, really, yeah. really really good. Yeah. Um, I, agree I, I I think receiver was a little bit thinner than I expected to. Alshon um, Jeffrey would I would I would you could make a case for him. Uh, for sure, uh, Alshon was. He, I mean, he he got he was he was such a physical freak. I feel like at that time, um, I mean LSU. You could I don't, I just I still I stand by what I said about Beckham not being as dominant in college as he is in the NFL. So I, I could see that. I don't know. Yep. Like Amari Amari is the best receiver, I've, hands down, that we've had in the past twenty years. So it's interesting you say that because. When we were asked to put together our offensive player of the decade, I'm looking through and I, I wanted to go Cam initially, but then I thought, you know what, yeah. only one season a decade, it's kind of tough to say he is the best offensive player of the decade when he just had that one year. The guy that I had the least trouble putting on this list of anybody on the offense was Amari. People, and like, yeah, been saying it. It's, his body of work, if you if you don't necessarily appreciate his body of work, you need to go kind of go back and look. Just his junior season alone is so insane. The fact that he had 124 catches. 124, 124 catches. In the same way that we talked about Henry, he was he was the offense. Blake Sims was yeah. the quarterback of that offense. Like like and if you don't think if you don't think that I, mean, I don't, no one ever guarded him. No one ever shut down Amari Cooper. I, like Amari was in a, a very different offense, I think, in 2014 than he was in 2012 yeah. as well. And he still put up those really good numbers in 2012. And we talked about that when we did the It Just Meant More. You realize watching this game, Amari Cooper's the best player on the field. Without a doubt. And he's a true freshman. Yeah. He's a true freshman in this game. And, yeah, Todd Gurley was on the field as mm-hmm. well. Don't get me wrong. Not, don't, don't hate Georgia fans. Todd Gurley was really, really good. But Amari Cooper was the best player on the field that day. And to me, you just watch the way that he progressed and the numbers that he put up. I mean, to, to, to have the junior year that he did as well, where, you know, you're talking 1,700 yards, 16 touchdown catches. The dude was so, so special. Part of that Lane Kiffin system yep, it's, certainly it's helped the whole getting thing. there. Um, but I, I think Amari was just so special and was the best player at his position from People, an offensive standpoint during his time. I, it's not even, I don't think it's close. I honestly, like, it was, he was, well, maybe it's close. I don't know. But, like, Amari. People forget in the Iron Bowl before the kick six, before the kick six happened, and before they scored a touchdown with like less than thirty seconds left to tie it, the the what like would have been the the go ahead touchdown for Bama was a ninety nine yard touchdown to Amari Cooper where he just 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 smoked a defender and was just gone. Like it's I mean like I 
He was, he was, there were things he did. The Auburn game in 2014, in my opinion, cemented his place in like SEC history where mm-hmm. there was, you knew the ball was going to him and you had stuff where it was like you're, you bracket coverage, you, you do whatever. And it was so, he was still such a, a mismatch for multiple people trying to guard him to the point where Lane Kiffin was turning his back to the field, holding up the touchdown sign because he knew it was a touchdown. We'll move on because I love Mark Cooper. Tight end, you nailed him, Special. Evan Ingram. I, I would say Hunter, Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry was the the guy that I that I considered um, just a little little bit more in terms of longevity that Ingram had because I think he had the he had the one more year yeah. um, during his time at Ole Miss compared to Hunter Henry but he was yes yeah, somebody that you can make a case for for sure we don't really need to dig into the offensive lineman do we no I don't want defense. to because it's uh, that one I don't I hate that you put it's, Barrett Jones on there but it's yeah I don't want to do it. I know you hate Barrett Jones I don't hate right. Barrett Jones uh, I just I think, anyway I, David Andrews should have been on there. Um, okay. But anyway, so yeah, all purpose. Does it have to be an offensive all, all purpose player? Uh, I, I try to make it that way, okay. yeah, because that's what I was including this with. But if you have somebody that just far and away in terms of kick return, punt return, something like that, um, then you could certainly make the case for one. I mean, got I think what Michael Harbin did from a punt return standpoint was pretty impressive because he averaged like 20 yards per carry. I, I wouldn't put him all decade. Um, Joe Adams from Arkansas was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think here. The other one I would say, people might hate on this a little bit, but uh, it, like Cyrus Jones had four. I thought you were going to say four, Cyrus Jones right there. He had four right punt returns touchdown in one season, which, is, which yep. is a lot. And the other one, if we're saying all-purpose, I know he impacted the game a lot more in defense, but Eddie Jackson had two punt returns touchdowns, average over 20. Just got paid. Yeah, he did. Average over 23 yards per punt return in 2016 before he broke his leg. And then also had three interceptions return touchdowns. So if we're talking about like all purpose where they affect the game in, in multiple ways, I, I think he would be on there. But um I, I like Odo Beckham was great too. Oh yeah. And I like I said, I, I didn't I'm not putting Odo Beckham on there because of who he is in the NFL. I, I did it because when I went back and actually looked at some of the stuff, didn't realize he was as good from a return standpoint as he was. The defense, the defensive line, whew, loaded, absolutely Man. loaded. Jadavian Clowney, Jonathan Allen, Miles Garrett, Derek Barnett. Uh, left off Quinnen Williams. Really, really difficult decision to do that. Really wanted to put him on there. I'll explain that in a minute. Linebacker. I went with four. Sue me. Whatever. I've got 12 men on the defense. Flag <laughs> me all day if you want. I don't care. I wanted to include four linebackers. Josh Allen, Jarvis Jones, C.J. Mosley, Devin White. Defensive backs. Vernon Hargraves, Patrick Peterson, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and Minka Fitzpatrick. Defensive player of the decade, Jonathan Did Allen. not see that coming. Yes. Didn't, th- didn't think I would do that. Did not think I would do that. That was not where my head went first. But when I, I, I broke it down, you look at some of the accomplishments yeah. that, that, Al, that Jonathan Allen had, and it just it made a lot of sense to from, from that standpoint in terms of like no doubter, deserve a spot on this list, Body of work over a long period of time wasn't necessarily just one year as it relates to the defensive player of the decade yeah. and just the team success. He, he hit everything that you could possibly want. There are a couple other guys I realize you could definitely make a case for. Um, defensive line, Derek Barnett yeah, let's, let's definitely start should there. be over them. I'm glad you put Miles Garrett in there. Clowney's numbers don't add up to deserving to be on here, to be honest. But, they, but there's no way you could make a list of the best players of the decade without Clowney being on it. Um, I, I would say uh, two people I would definitely have an issue with not being on here. I wouldn't put them over Jonathan Allen. I might put him over Miles Garrett, even though he had an incredible career. Derek Brown from Auburn, 
and then also mm-hmm. uh, Nick Fairley from Auburn. I, I know people didn't yeah, like Nick I, Fairley, and I know 2010 was like kind of like the big, the one big year he had. But Nick, he was ridiculous. He dominated, yep. dominated um, yeah. so much. I I didn't put Fairley on here because the one year wasn't necessarily like f- heads and shoulders above any of the one years that like the the three guys, so Garrett, um, Clowney, yeah. and then Allen had. So Fairley was incredibly good, and I kind of wanted to because obviously he was a huge part of that national championship team. When we talk about Auburn not necessarily having the defensive, the NFL-ready talent besides him on that defense. But, you know, I think it's actually surprising if you look back at Clowney. Um, his numbers, you know, the guy still had 23 and a half tackles for a loss in a season. Yeah, that's 13 super. sacks. Six in the Heisman Trophy voting. Like his peak was still really good. I understand his last year, his moment. Yeah, his last year, you know, was a bit of a mess, a little bit like Leonard Fournette in that regard. Um, but I mean, like, also had the the first. I don't want to say it's the first viral moments because that's not necessarily the case. But in the Twitter age, in the in the age of like Twitter videos, I feel like that was the first one that everybody watched a billion times over and over and over again. Um, he was big in Vine too. I think I saw <laughs> that he? on Vine a lot. Yeah, uh, but Clowney to me was was still somebody that he was just such a freak of nature, and and what he did in that season was so unbelievably impressive. Um, and then he still, for whatever reason, I don't know why he got All America love that junior year, but he did. Um, you take him away from South Carolina, and you're taking away one of their all time greats. I think, in my opinion, so I, I did put him on. And and Barnett, I mean, Barnett is a guy that. Yeah, there's this one stat about him that I just, I love. I love because I it, for me, yeah. not necessarily being a guy who um, who played college football or, or you know was I, I don't look at the game the same way your guy Chuck Smith does, right. right? Like Chuck Smith has this background that's so incredible. He knows pass rushers when he sees it right away. And a, a stat like even somebody like me can appreciate: Derek Barnett and his entire career never went consecutive games without a tackle for that's loss. Stupid. That is crazy. He is, he is, is crazy out of all the productive. players on the defense, he's the unsung, most underrated, un, un, I don't say underrated, like, but unsung hero. This is a guy we don't talk about, man. Like, like that, that is a ridiculous stat. How did that go unnoticed? I don't know. I didn't even realize that until I went back and looked at his game log. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, the breaking Reggie White sack record at, at Tennessee and, you know, second SEC history and tackles for loss. Yeah. I mean, this guy was really, really good, and he didn't necessarily get the national love because he went through some some tough times at, at Tennessee, and that that was a very struggling defense, I think, throughout his his final year there. But gosh, what what an impressive career uh, that he was able to put together in three seasons in Knoxville. You know, we got we got pushback from some people that said uh, like Robert Kimdichie. Which I thought was which I thought was interesting, and I was like, "Well, that is interesting because because in, he was the same heralded type of guy from as Clowney was to an extent of like yeah. how like you know this huge, huge, huge super recruit. You know how many do you know how many total sacks Robert Kendici had in his entire career? Nine, six. That's, That's it? it. He had one his freshman season, two his sophomore season, and three his, his last season. He was still a really good player, but I, the numbers just don't add up for him." Um, I, I think that I think I would agree with those guys for for D line. I'm sure we might be missing some uh, the linebackers: Josh Allen, Jarvis Jones, C.J. Mosley, Devin White. People forget how incredible of seasons Jarvis Jones had while he was at Georgia. It was really, really good. That 2012 year was special. 2012, he he was 
he was the best defensive player in the country. Hands down, it was yep. not Manti Teo. He he did he took over games. He did everything he wanted, and the the stats were just it was stupid. It was just stupid. Like it's like 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 at some point you think some of those stats would kind of fall off because it's like all right we, now there's enough tape we need to chip them we need to do whatever. No, they just never stopped. He was he was an incredible playmaker. Um, I, I think Roquan. I know you said it was tough to leave out. I, I agree, it's tough to leave out. He finished in the Heisman voting. Um, so I would have him in there maybe ahead of Devin White. Devin White is... That was the, my, my toughest debate a, was between Devin White and, and Roquan. From a talent standpoint, like, Devin White, I think, is... is I mean, what, what did he run? He ran, like, a 4-4-1 or something stupid. Um, He's, he is a freak, for yeah. sure. And I, I, gave, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because I thought his two-year mark was a little bit more impressive than, than Roquan. And, and Roquan, don't get me wrong, as I mentioned with Chubb, he was, you know, the best player on that defense. It probably, I mean, best player in college football, that best defensive player in college football that year, and was somebody that Georgia just was so reliant on. I think he had, what, like 130 tackles 137, or something like that. Yeah. Devin White had two seasons of 120-plus tackles, obviously. He won the butt kiss right. award in 2018, and he sort of kept LSU afloat after all that RDP True. stuff went down, and that's probably an underrated thing where he was the – the clear, clear leader of that defense. They relied on him so, so much. Consecutive years, earning All-America honors as well. Roquan was really, really tough to leave out. And, I, you know, I'm a Bears fan. So, like, I, I obviously, like, I love Roquan. Like, he's he's a guy that I hope has a bright future in Chicago. Yeah. But, yeah, to me, it was it was really, really close. Linebacker was tough. And even Josh Allen, I grew, you, you grow a little bit of, a, of an increased appreciation for some of these guys when you look back at their careers and you're comparing them against other guys during this era. Josh Allen, his 2018 season was just an all-time, just dominant, yeah. dominant year. Well, I think, hey, what a special year he had leading that program. I think that that, and then when you're looking at guys like, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you're saying on those. C.J. Mosley also, guy, guy that had back-to-back 100-tackle uh, seasons, um, yeah. several interceptions, several big interceptions, and, and interceptions turned for touchdowns. One guy that I think we left with the list that deserved to be on the list was Arkansas's Dejon Harris. He had over he had three <laughs> he had three straight seasons of over 100 tackles in the SEC, and that's not easy to do. Did you want him on one of these four spots? Yeah, I don't know which one I would tell him off of. I'm just saying he just, he's a, like I don't I don't. I should have put him on honorable mention. Maybe. Yeah, he definitely should make an honorable I mention. I, I mean, like. I don't know. This is also maybe like a, a time to like go look at it. And be like, hey, these guys are the best players. I don't think I don't think Dejan Harris is better than any of these four guys we listed, right? right. But I would don't want to. Yeah, but I just road. think like it's we should mention the career he had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, defensive back, loaded, loaded position. Not saying anything about this. Oh, this is tough. This was this was really tough. Uh, Vernon Hargraves, Patrick Peterson, Honey Badger, Minka Fitzpatrick. I think that. Patrick Peterson's one season was enough just because of the fact that, like, the guy essentially won every – he won Ben Nerick Award, Jim Thorpe Award yeah. in 2010. Yes, Cam Newton ran away from him. I know. I hear you Auburn fans. But to me, his season was just so, so good. And Vernon Hargraves – I came into this, a, like, right, like where I was covering the SEC full-time right after he left. But I still obviously consumed all of this, and he was still a national name. But I – didn't quite realize that he was a first-team All-SEC guy three years as a cornerback in the SEC. That was, That's that hard. Was the first That's really I hard. To go, uh, argue with you with about Vernon Hargraves, and then, and then I figured. the thing I see is, yeah, three. I mean, three. Yeah, that is really hard. That is really hard. I, 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 Derek Stingley could do. That. I'm not doing. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm. I'm not. I don't like getting into the DB thing because 
I'm so sick of the DBU argument because I just like it doesn't matter to me in my opinion. I I know it obviously matters to other people. Um, there's been so many good defensive backs in the SEC, and, and Gosh, like I hate I hate that argument of like the DBU thing. Like Patrick Peterson, I think is the best cornerback I've seen in the last decade. I, th- I think that's fair to say. Um, the, uh, Vernon Harker was also really good. Tyron Matthew, Tyron Matthew made he he made so many plays in so many different ways for his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a guy that definitely could have easily been the all-purpose guy because you know I've yeah. Ed, Eddie Jackson with the three defensive touchdowns. Tyron had just the season. I don't think I've ever seen. It's, it just fills up the stat sheet, man. Just everything he did, it just was it just impacted the game in so many different ways. Mika Fitzpatrick, one thousand percent deserves to be on here. Like, I, yeah, oh no doubt. There's there's been a lot of good safeties at Bama. Um, Landon Collins, Ha Clinton Dix, Mika Fitzpatrick. I think was the best. He was a guy that was able to come in and play several different positions and play him very very well. Um, so I, I I like I like all four of those. There's probably Travis White. Um, yeah. Couple other guys like that, like you know, like a DeAndre Baker. I was could gonna have been, say DeAndre, but like I don't yeah. know the career numbers on it, but he was he was obviously one of the more shut down guys. You, I mean, yeah, there's there's been there's been a lot a lot. Stephon Gilmore. I mean, there's there's tons yeah. there's tons of different ways that you can go with this, and I, I realize there are other cases to be to be made. I think Minka's Minka's another one of those guys who just quietly had this somewhat quietly had this this career that is just kind of peak Saban throughout the yeah. decade of dominance yeah. where you look back and Saban probably uses him as a recruiting tool all the time because he was an out-of-state kid, right. of course, He's from the New East Jersey. Coast. Yeah, essentially had the perfect career for an Alabama player. Alabama starter, year one, All-American, year two, All-American, year three. I mean, Jim Thorpe, Ben Derrick Award, played multiple positions. This is, uh, this is not an easy group t- to make, in my opinion. This was one that I struggled with a lot. And the defense itself, I think the defense was was more star-powered than the Without offense. a doubt, yeah. Yeah. Um, the defensive player of the decade, I used the same logic with the defensive side that I did on the offensive side. And I went with Jonathan Allen because Jonathan Allen was somebody whose peak – Yes, like as a four-year guy, he gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he has more of a chance to rack up these numbers in college, all of that. But he just never really fell off. And his senior season was so special. And he was, like we talked about with Roquan, a guy who got Heisman buzz and somebody who is a three-time first-team All-SEC selection. Not an easy thing to nope. do at, at the defensive line position. Three seasons of double-digit TFLs, two seasons of double-digit sacks. Best player in consecutive years on a team that played for a national championship would have ended his career with a second national championship had Deshaun Watson not been Deshaun Watson in the last few seconds of the game. Don't want to get into the pick play stuff. But I just thought Jonathan Allen had a peak that was ridiculously high and as high as anybody on this list and also had the the longevity over the course of his career where you looked back and you said, yeah, this was a a really good career. Um, I don't disagree with anything you said. He also, like, and people, it's, I think this is one like is so easily argued because people aren't going to be excited about um, giving this to like a non-sexy player. Like, a, he, yeah, exactly. You know I mean? He's not as flashy as some of the others on this list. For yeah, sure. I, I wouldn't say that I disagree with it. I, he's been incredible. Um, I don't know, man. It's hard. It's hard not to say Tyron Matthew because of, of the season that I he know. had. I I would almost make Minka in there just because of. I don't. I don't know. He was I don't even want to. I don't want to pick because I like. I don't want to. <laughs> this one sucks, man. Like Jonathan Allen, like he's 
my favorite thing about Jonathan Allen ever is he was the alpha of that defense, and, and and those people forget a little bit now, I think, because of how bad the defense was this year and how much better other defenses in the SEC have been than Alabama. They're not the standard anymore. But Jonathan Allen has the single best quote in the history of post-game quotes, and I will love it forever, is when they beat Michigan State 38 nothing in the Cotton Bowl, or whatever it was, the first year of the playoff, and there's 38-3 maybe, and somebody was like, man, like, Teams aren't supposed to do this. Like team, teams don't do that, and, and you know, like and, and beat teams number three team in the country by by five touchdowns. And he just like snapped his head over the report. He goes, "Alabama does," and it was the <laughs> best. I had a shirt made. I had a button made. It was it was awesome. Yeah, he's he's a he's a good dude. I think uh, I would have I would have a hard time arguing against that for him being the player of the decade. If I'll say this. Because I th- I know a lot of LSU people are saying Honey, yeah. honey Badger's got to be it. And that's good reason. If Honey Badger. If Honey Badger had played one more season, even if he had kind of not played up to his potential as in that junior year where, of course, he was suspended and, and ultimately he was, he was kicked off the team, yeah. I think if he had played that year, he is no question the defensive player yeah. of the decade. He is another guy that is really, really tough to judge because of how things ended, and his peak was just electric. Well, and and he, so, was, so he was special. Like a, he transcended so many other things where it was like, I tell you what, if there was another player that wasn't as likable as that kid, and it wasn't as genuine and authentic as that kid, that had "quote unquote" issues with drugs, yeah, it, he would have been he would have been forgotten about immediately. Tyron Matthew yeah. is different, and I, I could easily. Like, I tell you what, Jonathan Allen was the was the alpha of that defense and did so much. He he was he was the one in charge of leading that like the best defense. That's that 2016 team is the best defense I've ever seen. Where they they had they had a non offensive touchdown in like nine games, Connor. It's stupid. But Tyron Matthew, I would say in this decade, I've never seen a person take over games that much in so many different ways in defense than Tyron Matthew. So I could see I could see him winning. Let me read you his stats Do real it. quick, just because it, it goes it needs to be appreciated. It needs to be known just from, from, from everybody the type of year that he had in twenty eleven where LSU went to the national championship. Seventy seven tackles, seventeen passes defensed, seven and a half tackles for loss, six forced fumbles. Six Five fumble recoveries, four total touchdowns, two via punt return, two via fumble returns, two interceptions, one and a half sacks. That was one season. That was so one. I'm going to change my mind, and I because I there was the fumble force. I didn't I didn't have that stat in my notes. Tyron Matthews is a player of the decade. It's not close. Oh, it's close, but I mean, yeah, that, that's that's incredible. I don't How many it. different stats is that? It's wild. It's, it's absolutely wild. He was so much more than, than a haircut or a personality. He was so that was. I mean, that's like when my therapist asked, like, what are my issues? Then you just keep listing off stuff, man. You just keep <laughs> listing off stuff. Marler, um, why don't we take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Texas Pete, and we're going to do a little bit of fourth and wrong. So I, I know you've probably heard me say this a lot before, but if you, for whatever reason, have not gone to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group and followed along with all the fun, you're missing out. I'm just going to say it. You're missing out. You should definitely go do that. It is a private group, but all you have to do is answer three questions. Basically, just you know, kind of make sure that you're not a bot or, or whatever. But uh, you should definitely go do that. We're having a lot of fun on our Facebook group, which is up over 4,000 people over there. Um, you're definitely going to want to follow along. we got great memes. We're going to have great articles that are posted as well. It's kind of a one-stop shop for all things college football. And even if you're not necessarily a fan of the SEC, I think that there is a lot of great stuff that you're going to be interested in. Just because the season is ending doesn't mean that we here at SDS are all of a sudden going to stop 
cranking out content. That is what we do. So make sure that you go like our Facebook page, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Follow along for all the fun. All right, back to the podcast. So Marla, you're on a bit of a health kick right now. The diet started yesterday, not diet starts tomorrow, diet started yesterday. You know, great. Several days ago. Several days ago. Okay, you know it goes great with a diet. Somebody has said this before on this here podcast, Texas Pete. Yeah, Texas Pete does go great with a diet. Um, I'm not keto, I'm pedo, okay? Let's say that right now. Uh, I am, I am, like we started going through all the stuff and tell you what, Connor, didn't realize how bad my diet was. Um, before I started looking at all these stupid diet books, but you know what I'm allowed to still have is Texas Pete. Uh, and thank God, because it goes with everything, makes everything so much better. Um, I have like the wing sauce is fantastic. The Texas Pete dust is fantastic. I tell you what I've been doing lately. And I've said this before, get a little bit of the, the, the regular Texas Pete sauce and a little bit of the Texas Pete wing sauce, mix that up a little mix, mix a Rooney. It is fantastic. It is fantastic. So I love Texas Pete. Uh, I know we talk about how tailgate season is ending, um, and as I've said before, wedding season is 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 getting rapidly, rapidly close. Uh, and the one gift that I keep looking forward to, it keeps keeps on giving. Not only with the diet, but I know what we're also going to have at the at the ceremony itself. Texas Pete hot sauce. Can't wait. Say I do to Texas Pete. Oh, there it is. Um, and if you do, make sure make sure. Keto and pedo. I think the pedo is way better. Um, yeah, that is what I'm going to call my diet from now on is, is I'm pedo. And we, wait, isn't that a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know where you're going okay. with that. I was just trying to make a rhyme, but I'm pretty sure that means something different. Anyway, get Texas Pete. Put it on all your stuff. Put it on your chicken. Put it on everything else in the eggs in the morning that like Connor always does. And go get a bottle today. And make sure you send us vi- pictures and videos or whatever of what you're doing with Texas Pete, as long as it's reasonable. Uh, and use the hashtag sauce like you mean it. Moving on to fourth and wrong, I'm pretty sure pedo is, is uh, it means pedophile, which is not that's not what I was going for. Well, it's what you, it's what you ended up on, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I said it three times, so there's that. Anyway, regardless, love text Pete, love fourth and wrong, love you guys for every week. You guys send us the best questions, uh, non football related questions that we then answer on here, uh, or advice that you want answered, and. So let's see here. It's in the Facebook group as well, which I know Connor mentioned. First question we have from Michael Dark. Imagine you just found out your significant other is pregnant. What sports-inspired name would you give him or her? I grew up a Michigan fan, so we named our youngest son Braylon after Michigan receiver Hmm. Braylon Edwards. And she shot down the idea of Kirby, Herschel, Roquan, etc. Okay, fair enough. I think Braylon Edwards is problematic now, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. Um, Yeah, I... I, I won't be able to do this. I know that. But the name Horace has a nice kick to it. Oh, my God. Horace O'Gara is a legend on the playground. That kid is nice never missing an open jumper. He's getting all the loose the loose rebounds. He's scrappy. He's able to play well with others. I, Horace O'Gara, Connor, I, come on. No offense, but um, I love you, dude, but Horace O'Gara is... Not ever going to be picked to play on a on the playground. But there's oh, not, he there's, he's going to have no his goggles. Gonna be like, he's going to ball. You know, we got to we got to get Horace, the kid with the goggles and the knee braces that's wearing at <laughs> seven years old. Um, I, it's so weird that you love Horace Grant. It's the third best player on that team. That's why I loved him though, because every when I was a kid and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, as I've said many times in this podcast, everybody around me was like, "Oh, I love MJ. I love Pippen." I love the guy who was making everything happen for him and getting all the loose balls and doing all the glue things to be able to hold yep. that team together. Horace was so underappreciated, man. I love me some Horace Grant. 
Um, that's fair. I would say, so, I mean, obviously, like, animals, I'd name queso corcovailoa, or now it's queso burro, but either way. Um, I, hmm, Mickey, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Marler. I like that a little bit. Mickey Marler's catchy. That guy could have a mm-hmm. late night talk show for sure. Mickey Marler could have a late night talk show or be a recurring uh, person that pops up on websites that you don't need to be going to. I don't like that name that much. Oh, Because nice. I don't like the, the alliteration on it. Very um, different ends of the spectrum I'm, there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I, 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 I like... I like Mickey because of Mickey. Like I said Mickey Mantle. I, like Chipper is too much. Growing up in Atlanta, that would be that'd be too much. I don't know if I would name another one of my kids after a, a, a player, though. No, I wouldn't either. Um, it just the issue is if you do that, and if you know, like the Braylon Edwards thing, if there's something that happens that's problematic or something like that, then it's kind of a tough look to be able to justify it. But there's, I mean, it's it's inevitable and it's going to continue to happen everywhere. How many kids have yep. been, especially in the state of Indiana, how many kids named Peyton, Indiana starting quarterback? Yeah. Peyton. That makes sense. I don't know. I mean like Ted, like Ted Williams, um, but Ted's such a weird name. Theodore. Like one of my, so one of my friends just had a baby and she named her, their, her, the twins and the, the kid's name is Theodore. And I was like, that's an, Theodore's a boss a, name. Boss is he name. A stuffed animal. No, I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You can go right, a lot of different um, directions with that too. I don't know, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be the one that's allowed to make that decision anyway. So it's, I don't know any Oregon State players that Bay is going to make me choose from. <laughs> Chad Can't Johnson. Wait. Oh, Sean Mannion. Yeah. <laughs> Mannion Marler. TJ anyway. Wait, did Chad, did Chad Johnson play there? Yes, and TJ Huzanzada. So yeah. Okay. Um, shout out the uh, Seahawks. Big one yesterday. Go squaw. Whatever. Uh, this is from McKaylin Crabtree, one of my favorite people in this group. Um, she's, like, really young. She's, like, 18, but she's, like... Super sensible, like like a lot smarter and more mature than I am. Um, she said, if you could spend the day with your favorite celebrity, who would it be and what would y'all do? I mean, I kind of already outed myself for the Horace Grant thing. I guess I wouldn't wouldn't put that in there. I mean, I'll, I'll just stick, I'll stick with the Bulls. Spending a day with MJ would just be a different kind of experience in every possible way. Yeah. It would be a pinch yourself moment throughout the entire day. And not to say, like, look. I've been very fortunate in this in this life, this career. I've had cool opportunities throughout my life. I've been able to be the bat boy for the Cubs for a day, and I, I have had. Said that. I think I've said this. I think I've said. No, that you have not. I was bat boy for the Cubs for a day in 2004. It was a great time. They win or lose. Uh, they won like 10 to nothing that day. It was dominant. It was great. Um, and that was when they sold a lot of star power. Kerry Wood, Sammy Sosa, Mark Pryor, um, Derek Lee. A lot of a lot of notable. You've a thousand percent people. never said that on the podcast. Or told I just, me. I just said it right here and now. Um, I've had I've had some really cool experiences throughout my life, but getting to spend the day with MJ would just be above and beyond anything we've ever yeah. been able to to sort of do. Just because his life is so different and guarded and secluded, and, and he doesn't really allow a lot of people in. Whereas everybody else in this social media culture, you kind of feel like you get little glimpses into their life. Whereas MJ really doesn't do that, and he trying he tries to keep pretty private. So I think there's always been a certain mystique about MJ. That yeah. and and I mean Michael Jordan, not Michael Jackson, as you often wonder about when I say MJ on this podcast. So Michael Jordan, yeah, for sure. Okay, so for me, I can't do anything uh, simply or as requested. So I'll say three people: Ryan Reynolds. Love to just hang out with Ryan Reynolds because, like, I, I love I you know I love comedians and all that kind of stuff as well, and athletes for the most part. But those those not say actors don't, but they carry a different type of ego that. I don't know if I would necessarily want to be around that long. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, he, and he just seems like such a fun dude. Like he's just he's funny. Like he, he it's like I think he's a, a, a lot of similar wit to like he's, he's a relatable person. So I'd say that. Um, and then the last two, I don't know if I I might even just want to do this all together. Is Scott Van Pelt and Charles Barkley? I would love to go to Vegas, with Charles Barkley, or play golf with Charles Barkley, and just gamble and be irresponsible and a degenerate the entire day. I think that would be so much fun with Charles because he's like that'd be a blast. And then the other one would be um, man Scott Van Pelt. Same thing. I would love I would love to just sit like the the West West uh, Westgate. When you go to Westgate Sportsbook that I got to spend or got to go to for my bachelor party with him for a day and just kind of chill and, and talk about sports and do that whole thing and the gambling. But the other thing I would like to like to do with him is he's a veteran of Dewey Beach in Delaware, which is, this is true. I love the place, hate some of the people there, but love the place. Um, and it's not far from Ocean City, Maryland, which is like a similar beach town. That's like one of the most fun towns I've, I've ever been to. I would love to just go hang out and drink with, with, with uh, Scott Van Pelt. Listen, maybe reenact that that whole drunk dial he had that went viral on YouTube. Oh yeah, a couple years oh ago. yeah. I knew so you were going to bring that up. I knew you were going to bring that. It up. was so funny, and it nothing was. bad came out of it. It was it was just him being funny. So oh, I would that's also, what I would say. I would also, um, you know, if we're talking about celebrities here, uh, just spend a day training with Chris Doring. You know, just kind of see how that goes, pushing sleds yeah. and having a good old time. I think I'd uh, I'd enjoy an afternoon getting to do that for sure. Our favorite celebrity cool. on this podcast for sure. That's true. Um, okay. Third question from Eric Beasley. What is your most irrational fear? Follow that up with what do you fear most that would never actually hold on. What is your what is your yeah, what is your most irrational fear? Follow up with what do you fear most that would never actually happen to you? Most irrational fear is pick one. Trampolines with nets. Um death traps. Just total death traps. It's irrational. Close in on you like a Venus flytrap? Um, no, I had a buddy rupture a spleen on those when I was growing up. So it kind of scared me off of them because he tried to jump over it. He's an idiot. I wouldn't probably try and do that. But I always fear that those things are just going to come apart or I'm going to jump into the side of them and I'm going to get injured some way, shape, or form. There's just nothing you can do when you're suspended in air and you're already up there and you got to land somewhere. And I just, I don't really have much of a way to protect yourself. I know the nets are there to protect you, but I have always been very, very timid around those things. Now I have obvious natural fears, you know, going on motorcycles, heights to me are just not not a big fan of in certain situations. Obviously, I can fly and stuff like that, no big deal. But just a lot of situations in which I kind of find myself avoiding because of said heights, going to the Grand Canyon and getting around some of those heights, kind of get over some of that, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the trampoline one is probably my most irrational. That's yeah. <laughs> you around a lot of trampolines still? I don't like. Uh, is that... There's a reason I'm not. <laughs> okay, fair fair enough. Very good answer. For me, let's see, oh, man, outliving my loved ones. Uh, no, oh, okay. Gosh. I, I would like take it to a dark place at first. God, um, that was dark. So for real, like bridges. I I don't like bridges. I don't like being over them. I don't like being under them. I'm always afraid they're going to collapse. I don't know why. It doesn't it's matter how tall the bridge is. It doesn't matter. Well, it, it it's worse if it's taller. Yeah. I've gotten better about it over the recent years. But um, I'd say, like, a big one for me now, especially in Atlanta, is because I've had it like my whole life, but um, being, if you're like in traffic and you're and you're waiting to move, like, and, and you're at like a red light or something like that, and you're under the bridge. Oh, okay. That is a nightmare for me because, and then we had a bridge burned down, like, like, Three years ago in Atlanta, just like out of nowhere. So um, the other one is, and, and I'll say, knock on wood, this never happens to me because I would I would not do well with this. Um, 
I mean, Auburn winning another national championship, that's one. That's uh, not irrational. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, no, this this actually happened to somebody in Australia like 10 years ago, and it has stuck with me. It's, it's it's the one thing I wish I'd never seen in my whole life, and I'm not trying to make a joke here or be funny. This this is This is the most terrifying thing I think that could ever happen to you. Somebody went to the bathroom, and they had to go number two, and they opened the lid, oh, and no. there was like a seven foot python in okay. their in their uh, toilet, like like from that had come up through the pipes, and even worse. And there's other stories where this has happened, like a lot, like more than once in places. Like I, I don't know how many in America, but like if you're doing that, if you're just like minding your own business, doing your business, and there's a damn snake. I hate snakes. I hate snakes. That that is easily my biggest fear. So your fear is toilets. Is what this is fear. Yes. I haven't gone number two in seventeen years ever since I read I'm kidding. I just that whole thing is, is gross to me. That, that, ugh, that would that would be terrifying. Um number four, this is from Marsha Madeline Miller. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream and toppings? Don't say mm. what your least favorite is, Connor. What is your favorite? I wasn't gonna say my least favorite. I'm a very positive person when it comes to ice cream, for sure. Moose tracks is my favorite. That, that's that's my go-to, and it, give me the, give me the peanut butter moose tracks. I don't want yeah. you know, the peanut. I, I've had the others where it'll say on the box, chocolate covered moose tracks or something like that, and it's like a peanut butter cup except it's more chocolate instead of peanut butter yeah. in there, which is weird. I don't know why you would do that. Um, but moose tracks to me, and if we ever go, you know, if we go to Froyo or something like that, or if it's a make your own Sunday, any sort of Ooh, Reese's. Yeah. M&M, Oreo, peanut butter combination where I just swirl it all yeah. together. Yeah, chocolate sauce. Oreo's maybe. good. Oreo's really good. Um, I'm not a big whipped cream guy. I'm, I've never really enjoyed that. A little overrated, that. isn't it? Yeah. I think it is. I love, I love having like nuts in the ice cream. You know, I will say this, Connor, and I don't know how much ice cream you've been getting into lately, but there was a, a, a stage in December for me where I was getting into a lot of ice cream, I, I was that was a regular thing I was buying. You at the sound store like a for, raccoon going. You're like I was it, getting it, into a lot It of was garbage. pretty much how I handled most of December <laughs> with the stress of of the holidays. So, but I was like, I remember like going to look for for I was so I was going to look for like these like ras or strawberry like popsicles like the like the all fruit ones that are really good like mm-hmm. super high in sugar but they're really good. Um, and they didn't have them. And I was looking at the ice cream section. Are we getting a little bit out of hand with the different type of animal track flavor ice creams now? Like, I don't understand what bear tracks, moose tracks, deer tracks, like all these. Uh, what? What? Paw there Patrol. Was an, uh, there was an, yeah, there was an otter tracks. Like I don't, you know what? Like I, why don't we just pump the brakes a little bit on on all the animal track things? I'll just I'll throw that out there for for ice cream fans. Um, for me, chocolate almond staple. I love coconut, coconut and and like any kind of like nuts or Oreos. Like adding that in there if I'm like at a froyo place. Um, that's the best for me. Yeah, I, lo- I love like uh, chocolate and coconut. That is probably my favorite. Um, but for me, it's a heavenly hash, which is like all those things. Can we agree that Rocky Road is the I knew single most no. overrated ice cream? Just give me chocolate over Rocky Road. I, I, don't, no. I don't need. I don't You're need wrong about this. No. Every time we bring up ice cream, that's why I said, don't say your what's your least favorite. I say just say your favorite, end. and you always get mad about Rocky Road. Rocky Road's not bad. The marshmallow, it's the consistency of the marshmallow when when you're like in a good bite, and it's like because what, what is it? It's like chocolate, and then like is it chocolate chips or is it chocolate or is it like nuts? It's I think so it's, it's nuts. Yeah, isn't it nuts and marshmallow? Yeah, and then so it's like you get like the chocolate flavor, and then like the nuts, and then and then when that marshmallow part kicks in, you're like, oh. My problem with Rocky Road is that it is too many people's favorite ice cream. That's yeah. the issue. If it was just a regular flavor, no problems. If it's just kind of discussed, 
But I think that way too many people like Rocky Road and Mint Chip Ice Cream. Mint Chip is overrated. It's it's, it's not bad, but it's like it's, it's not bad. Good. It's it's all it, ice cream's good. How about, how about people that like pistachio? Yeah, that's like weird. pistachios themselves are good. If you're ordering pistachio ice cream consistently, and you're not like a 78 year old woman named Ethel that lives in Florida after living in New York for most of her life, that's a problem, guys. You know what? Let's talk about ice cream a little bit here. Is I I got a lot of takes on, on ice cream. Off. I just I, first off, rainbow sherbet is fantastic. I agree. Orange sherbet, orange sherbet is fantastic. That used to be like my favorite growing up. If you are just getting vanilla, is it too much to kill yourself? Probably so. Probably like but too much. Don't, too much. Yeah. Okay. Don't do that. But like. Dude, like you don't go order a mayonnaise sandwich. Like get, like get, add some stuff to it. Add some spice to it. I don't like, uh, I don't like, like some of like the boutique ice cream shops now, where there's like, like Jenny's is really good. It's really good. This is this is a big difference between me and Allie, and it, and it really frustrates me sometimes because it would be I like, can tell. hey, um, can you get me some ice cream? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we constantly talk about being on a budget, and. We'll go get ice cream. And it's like you can get a half gallon of like Mayfield or Publix brand or whatever. It's it's still good ice cream. Yep. For like four fifty nine. And she's like, "Well, give me Jenny's super dark chocolate, which is good, but like I don't want to have to be thirsty for water after I eat ice cream." And mm-hmm. and like I I don't know why that. And it's like eight ninety nine a pint. Like that I don't understand. Where that's coming from? I, Halo Top. That's another one of those. Ben and Jerry's. They're very expensive per when it comes to per pint. When you compare it to the, yeah. you know, there's the full like half whatever the the half gallon store bought thing is. Yeah. American American Dream. I love that one. That one's pretty. Chunky Monkey's good. The banana one. Not it's like banana with walnuts and a no. It's fine. I mean, I but yeah, there are there are a lot of like rum raisin. Who like yeah? Why like, who when? Uh, the only people I know that like rum. Ugh. And then, and then butter pecan, like that is butter pecan's not bad ice cream. It's just it's like there's always I can't butter. imagine not being under the age. I can't imagine being under the age of fifty five years old and actually getting butter pecan ice cream. Nor can I. Okay. Last question. <laughs> I just got uh, Emery Picker says, "I just got out of the army after six years. What are your best beard care tips for a guy who has never been able to grow Ooh. a beard?" That's a great question. Thank you for your service, Emery. Um, yeah, thank starters. you for your service. Um, as somebody who got rid of a beard a month ago and now has my full beard back and life is good, get the the trimmers. So um, you can go to, I mean, even at Target, you can find a- any array of trimmers. But make sure that you have the trimmers and they've got like four or five different settings on the razor because yeah. depending on what point in, in your life you're at, those things are very valuable tools. And sometimes when you get back from getting a haircut and you still got the beard going, you can you can kind of use it to, to be able to help you out in some problem areas as well. Um, because sometimes they don't necessarily, like if you go to a haircut place and you don't say anything about the beard, they won't do anything to it. And yeah. it helps you to be able to kind of take care of it in terms of beard maintenance and stuff like that. But I only use a straight razor pretty much on my neck and like just to kind yeah. of tighten things up on the top anymore. But yeah, make sure you get the the trimmers that have a variety. Don't just get like a trimmer that's got like one or two settings. Make sure you get the right. ones with like four. Yeah, agreed. This, I think I have like a one, two, three, four, and five guard on yeah. mine because I think mine's like like if you can get one that's like for not just for your beard but like for what do you call it like your hair as well I guess because you can get like. I don't know, they, they have more variations for, like, the guard um, that you can use. But if you get, like, the, the stuff of conversation, like, yeah, definitely get multiple, multiple, um, what do you call it, settings. Because that, my least favorite part, and I have to do it every week for the TV thing, is, like, 
is shaving my neck. I, I hate it. I'd of never course. not get razor burn. Like and, and like and now like the one thing I didn't know that you had to like line it up. Yep. You know to get a beard. And like you know every once in a while I try to do this. When I get a haircut, I usually just add in getting my beard trimmed or or shaped up or whatever because they do a pretty good job of it. But it's like seventeen dollars. Yeah, it's not worth it. I always do that no. At home. It's really not, man. Yeah. It's just I like it. Yeah, I I, I hate. Um, I just hate the part where like I actually have to use a dry razor to shave my neck. But you can get multiple ones where it's like. A, a electric razor or whatever you call it, like that, that'll sure. get a Those pretty work. close shape too. You just yep. get multiple. Just have a plan. That's that's the key thing with with having a beard is that if you don't have a plan, if you just kind of let it run wild or whatever it is, it'll get out of control and hurry. And I don't know I if no you're idea. a person. I don't know if you're a person who can't grow a beard, Emery, um, or if anybody listening to this can't grow a beard. It, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes yeah. a little bit longer than others. Don't force it. Wait for it to to kind of you know build naturally over time. Keep shaving yeah. it until it's at the place where where you like it, but. Uh, just have a plan and make sure that it looks good. Make sure your significant other likes the way that it looks and she yeah. can at least deal with it because that's the last thing you want is to all of a sudden add something to your life and she's like, oh, this isn't what I was hoping for. The, the significant I, other's got to, she's the person that's got to look at you. So that's yeah. that's kind of a key part of this whole deal. I When I started growing this last year, I grew it because I was sad because uh, this actually, I'm sorry you haven't birthed this up yet. I've so. never asked you about that, yeah. Today is the one-year anniversary of the Clemson-Alabama game in yes, Santa Clara. And so that is – I remember I got back, and I was, like, super sick. I was, like, just so sick. And also, I had worked at Houston's for, like, however many years, and you had to shave every day, every single day, or they'd, like, send you home. Um, I I started I started growing out, and it was, like – I was it was the first time I'd ever grown with, like, a full beard, I was, and I was shocked. And I didn't know you had to trim it and keep, keep up oh, with it yeah. or do any of that stuff. So it was just, like, three months, and it was just, like, this bushy orb on my face. I didn't want to say anything. And, it, no one said anything, and then like like I would do the I would do the podcast or the the Facebook lives, and somebody was like, "You gotta trim up that beard, bro," and like because because if you grow it out just like puffier and puffier like that, if you, especially if you have a trouble growing a beard, it 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 is more glaring where the areas are like you can't grow it if you let it go longer. Beards take um, work. Yeah, so get get beard oil too. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. Connor, take us out of here. Let's end with it. Might mean too much. This was something that got me a little bit fired up on Twitter the other day. Um, Lane Kiffin hired DJ Durkin as an assistant. And I bring this up and it might mean too much because we know why Lane Kiffin hired DJ Durkin probably. And I threw out the hypothetical on Twitter of like, Ole Miss hired DJ Durkin because why? Obviously, Lane wants to get a competitive advantage. He feels that DJ Durkin is somebody that is going to add value to their staff as a defensive mind, as a recruiter, whatever it is. Athletic Director Keith Carter said that they vetted DJ Durkin as well. Here's the problem with that, and I'm going to go off for a minute here. DJ Durkin, the way that things ended at Maryland, where he was part of the player mistreatment scandal, ESPN investigation kind of shed some light onto some of the stuff, the toxic culture at Maryland, which was only looked into because of the death of Jordan McNair, the former Maryland player who died of a heat stroke during practice. And the stuff that he was making players do under his watch is just disgusting and bizarre. Yep. And somebody who, in my opinion, should not have authority over 18 to 22-year-old kids anymore. Um, Say Real quick, I don't need to catch up. Say that again, Connor. He should not have authority over 18 to 22-year-old kids anymore because... Right. There was, uh, I mean, if you wanted to get into, like, making players watch gross things while they're eating, horror movies, eyeballs getting gouged, gouged out, like serial killers, oh, like weird, weird, weird stuff that he was doing. Public I mean, had, shaming. 
Yeah, like public shaming, bullying, had, you know, his strength coach. His strength coach, like, threw a, 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 an entire garbage can of vomit at players during workouts. Like, weird stuff that isn't just like, oh, kids are soft these days. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. no. Like, stuff that's a major, major problem. 192-page report. You can read all about some of the stuff that he was doing over at Maryland. And, you know, people are saying, well, you know, he's a great recruiter. This is the land of second chances. Like, okay, here's the issue. This is the easiest negative recruiting ever, ever. Anybody that actually is going in a recruiting battle against DJ Durkin, all they have to do is say, you want your kid to play for him? For him, the guy was at, at, at the helm while all this stuff at Maryland went down. So everybody that's saying, oh, he's a great recruiter, he hasn't had a recruit since all this stuff went down. How in the world is that a good look for Lane Kiffin and his program to bring on a guy like that who just has all sorts of baggage? I don't care yeah. if Keith Carter says that they vetted him and they looked into his background. It's all there. It's it's all this stuff is all out there, and nobody has no allowed necessarily DJ Durkin to go into living rooms and tell kids why they should go to specific puts, you know, go to their specific school. And to me. That's the issue that I have. And a second chance, people misconstrue this all the time in college football, more than any other sport, and it bothers me so much. They say, what about second chances? Second chances in life are different than second chances to be able to coach 18 to 22-year-old kids and get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that job. That, that is, is a big difference. That is such a... You, I didn't mean to cut you off. You, I'm done. Mean? I'm done. Go ahead. No, that, and that, that, kind of like that's like maybe the best point that's ever been made on this podcast like ever because of the fact that like it, it's so frustrating now and I had this conversation with somebody yesterday about some of the stuff that went on with the Facebook group and, and, and how what bothers me so much about where we are today in society is the, there's no the, the lack of discourse and, and conversation and, and like logical understanding of each other and listening of, of, of other people and I struggle with it all the time too but like the, we've gotten to a place now where everyone has their opinions made up and most of those opinions and for, like in my opinion, are based off of a snapshot of, of, of the actual issue at hand where they they see something they agree with and they, they kind of steer or, or veer towards that and, and like, you know, like whether it be like news or, or politics or whatever. And then the other, the, the people of the opposing side, any kind of difference or pushback becomes you just don't like me because you're, you know, if it's sports, we're rivals or you, you're a hater because of this. And it, it's really frustrating. And I know that's just how the internet is and I should get over it all kind of stuff, but it really is disheartening to see sometimes. And it worries me going into like this year specifically, not to get on the soapbox with the 2020 where we're at an all time high of contentiousness, probably because of, of like an election year and at an all time low of understanding each other. This situation, what you said, has nothing to do with it being a bad look for the university or because he doesn't deserve a second chance. It's the fact that like the 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 biggest the biggest what's the word I'm looking for here a, a product for lack of better words that is affected by NCAA football are are, are kids and yeah, children exactly. and, 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 and young men that are going into their 18 and 22 years old and it's it's not okay to put a child's life in danger and he's somebody that did that and, and it ended up horribly i mean like i just i don't know how you i don't know how people wouldn't see that yeah that's that's to me is is a tough thing to spin i'm not saying that that means he's automatically going to go down that same path yeah. that old miss but i'm saying that in terms of bringing that type of personality into your your university i think that's just a really bad look on a, a variety of fronts so Lane Kiffin is trying to fill out his staff. As we know, he hired Chris Partridge from Michigan, and he's still trying to do some other things to be able to, to build that up, and he wants to be able to recruit. Get all those things. To me, there's a better option. There's always a better option if that's yeah. where you're going. 
Make sure, if you have not yet, join our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook, up over 4,000 members. If you are not following us on any forms of social media, uh, you should be. You definitely should be because we are going to continue to crush it. Our team, our news team does great work, as we always say. Marler is on top of all things SDS in terms of Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook Live. Are we doing Facebook Live before the national championship? Is that the plan? Oh, yeah, we'll definitely do it for the National Championship. Um, I'm trying to figure it out because it might be Mondays, but then the Bachelorette's on Mondays. Yeah, so we'll Bachelorette's on Mondays. We'll probably see. It might, it, I think we're going to move it to Mondays at like 7.30. Mondays at 7.30 moving forward. We're going to preview the National Championship. Our plan as of right now is to record a podcast on Thursday. That'll come out on Friday morning for everybody to be able to read. We know the National Championship isn't until Monday, so that you'd be able to listen to that Friday all weekend, go into work Monday, whatever the case may be. We're going to have a lot more coverage on that, really break down the game. Maybe potential potential special guests that we haven't had on in a few months. We'll see if we can get that going as well. Fingers crossed on that one. But what do we need to remember more than anything else, Marlon? Don't say pedo if you don't know what it's short for. <laughs> Um, it might be too much, guys. Talk to you guys later this week.